Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about SNEAS and dress codes in girls' schools. We had a prior show, and based on feedback on that show, a similar but not so similar topic, the feedback was, let's hear from the women this time. And we're actually going to take a little bit of a different angle. We'll hear primarily from the women this time, but we'll be asking different questions as well. And we are going to analyze fundamentally the core function, the core reason that we have SNEAS. Is it because of the beauty of acting and dressing modestly or as is commonly taught to the girls that the fundamental issue of Tznius is that a woman is obligated to dress in a modest way to ensure that the men don't look. It is the girl's responsibility, the lady's responsibility to ensure men aren't looking, they're not having improper thoughts and whatever may come out of that. And the question that is raised by many women, if that's the core issue, the core reason for Tznius, why is that my responsibility Why can't the men be responsible for themselves? So our fundamental question, one of the fundamental questions we'll talk about today with the women, and also we'll have a post on as well. Sneas, what's the core issue? Is it to ensure that the men don't look, or is there something else that is going on? And on the same issue, should a man, should a Rav be teaching Sneas to women? Is that fundamentally not Sanua? Is that okay? Is that not okay? And we will also be talking with a therapist. We will talk about issues that have come up to women on the show, uh, of trauma, indeed real trauma that is experienced by how Sneas is currently being taught. We will talk about the consequences of that. Is this literally a PTSD, a very severe issue, a psychological traumatic issue that people incur? It could be a very intense traumatic episode, or it could be over time as well. And would we consider the consequences of improperly teaching Sneas to rise to the level of being a post-traumatic stress disorder as well? If so, what are the consequences for the girl? for the woman, for her family, for her avodas Hashem, and for her husband, please God, gets married, what can be the impact from having overly strict sneas teaching. Also, we'll talk about the impact of uh, social media, and not only social media, secular social media, but from print media as well. How does that impact on how girls and women dress alike? We have an amazing roster of guests joining us today. We are going to start from London with Rebbitz and Esty Hamilton, a popular lecturer and teacher, and then we will move to Eretz Yisrael. Oh, but although we're moving to Eretz Yisrael, we will still hear the same accent from Rabbi Anthony Manning, originally from London. Now he is the head of a seminary, a popular speaker, when we will talk about what he sees going on when the girls come out of high school and come to his seminary. He's taught in many seminaries, in fact. Then we will speak with somebody who we are calling Sara. That's not her real name. And she will talk about, quote-unquote, it happened to me throughout my schooling. Her experiences, we will be discussing that in detail with her. Just on, on this note, I do want to mention, I don't want to forget to say this. This is a show for adults. It is not for uh, Bahrim. It's also, uh, it's just not not for kids and, and, and young adults. And uh, we look forward to your listening to the show in the future uh, when you achieve that status of uh, being an older adult, but uh, at least from the third speaker. So if you want to listen, please listen to Rebbitz and Esty Hamilton and Rabbi Anthony Manning. But from there on out, it's uh, some of the material that we are covering would be inappropriate for 
for uh, young adults and below that. So our third speaker will be Sora. She will be talking about her experiences throughout school. And then we will move forward back to the United States. Mrs. Ellie Chevalis, a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's also a lecturer and author, and she polled numerous women, hundreds, a minimum of dozens and dozens of women as to their experiences. And she will share with us what she heard, feedback from the numerous women that she got input on for this show. And then we will end the show with Mrs. Fran Berg. She will also speak about It Happened to Me. And this will be a little bit different from uh, quote-unquote Sara because Mrs. Fran Berg had experiences both in Israel and New York when she moved to New York partway through her schooling. So she will be contrasting Israel to the United States. We cannot globalize based on what she said, but we can learn from her, at least her experiences, how they compared. Before moving forward, because we are in an interesting situation, now it happens sometimes that there is a disconnect between the Parshias that are read in Chutzlars and in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is ahead a little bit, by one week to be uh, specific, so I have more of a choice to choose for a Dvar Torah on the Parshias, but in fact, I'm going to use neither of those. It's a, choose a Parsha that we're going to get to in a week or two, depending on where you are located. Parshas Naso, very short, but I think very relevant to our Torah, and talking about the nausea that has to abstain from various things, including drinking of wine. And we are now in Bamidbar, Perek Vav, Pasuchaf, and it says, Va'achar yishtah nazir yain, after the process of Nevzirus, then the nazir can resume drinking wine. And the Alshech points out something fascinating here. We are talking about somebody who was a nazir, he abstained from wine and the like, but is no longer a nazir, and nonetheless, it says, that the Nazir, still calling him a Nazir, can drink wine. And the question is, why are we still calling him a Nazir if he is no longer a Nazir? Nazirus has a requisite required minimum amount of time. The Stam Nazirus we talk about is Shloshim Yom, 30 days. If somebody says I'm a Nazir, minimum is going to be 30 days. That's what's required. And the al says beautifully, he says we are talking about someone who went through a Nazirus process. The Nazirus process rises that person to a higher level of Kedusha. And when you go through a cleansing process like that, minimum of 30 days, the expectation, hope, is that the person will come out and not immediately go lower on their level of Kedusha, but should maintain where they are or even possibly rise up, go higher. So that's why this Nazir, the former Nazir, but nonetheless, having gone through that process, we want to still call him the Nazir in the hope, in the expectation that that person can maintain who he is without having having a Yerida. And the hope as well when boys, girls, young men, young women go through our schooling and they should achieve a certain level of Kedusha, a certain level of learning, that they should maintain that. And not only maintain that, that grow as well. And that equally applies to the young women who go through the seminaries that go through the high schools when they're taught about sneas and other values as well. It shouldn't be that after they get out they have a urethra, but it should be taught in a way that they can and do and want to maintain who they are 
thereafterward. And in a similar vein, I was sent a beautiful Dvar Torah approach in understanding Chinuch, a broad approach in under, understanding Chinuch from Rabbi Dr. Ben-Sion Sarutskin and his follows. It's, it's from Rav Nissen Karelitz, from the Sefer Chut Shani and Hilcha Shabbos. And it's leveraging the famous Mishnah that we say, Shlosha Dvarim Tzorech Adam Lomor, Bosoch Beis Erev Shabbos, three things that we have to say, coming into Shabbos to make sure that our preparations are complete coming into Shabbos. Check that all the Jumas and Maestros are taken and the like and the contemporary, we would say, is the alarm off, or is it said in Shabbos mode, is the fridge shed in Shabbos mode, is the hot water in Shabbos mode, have we done everything to prepare for Shabbos, or the light set and the like, and Rabbi Barakuna says as follows, Tzarech Lemimrin Hubini Chusa, you have to say it in a calm demeanor. Why is that? He explains. Ki hechi de la kablinu mine, so the people that we are speaking with, the family members, the wife, the children, etc., that they will accept it, internalize it, understanding what we are requesting. And says Rav Nissen Karelis beautifully, he says that we would have thought, we need action here. We need bottom line results here that we should tell people right now. Did you take the maestras? Are the lights set? Bottom line, we should be commanding these things to be done. We need to be insisting on these things that be done. Has it all done? Is everything ready? That's not the approach, says Rav Nissen Karel. It's based on the Gemara. Rabbi Barakuna teaches us, you have to say it b'nichusa. You have to say it in a calm and proper demeanor so they will be makaba. What does this mean? So explains Rav Nissen Karel. It's beautifully. The concept here is that we need to educate people. It is not going to be an effective education when we are demanding and insisting based on the need to see results. That is not going to be the proper approach when it comes to the taking on of Shabbos and it's also not going to be the proper approach when it comes to all other areas of Chinuch. He says this is a klal. His language is as follows. This is the general principle when it comes to education. This is if it is preferred to not insist, to not demand. But rather, the approach has to be through education. Through education. When you insist on things, they're not going to be accepted. They're not going to be internalized. You're just demanding something. Maybe you'll get immediate results, but you're not going to get longer term results. And he says, and this is so powerful, it is worthwhile to lose out a little, to compromise. And it means here in the short term. Maybe you're not going to get the same immediate results right now, but but you will benefit greatly because when they internalize things, they will act based on knowledge and understanding. And that is so much more important. And obviously, the parallel to our topic when it comes to teaching Tznias, it's good based on this, it's preferred. Maybe we're not going to get immediate short-term results as much as we would want. But take the long-term view. Chinuch has to go from the inside. It's not only about demanding on the inside. Okay, you need both. You need both. But we have to compromise a little bit on short-term results in order to see long-term success. Before going to our guests and talking about these very important issues, very significant issues, we are now going to have our riddle for the week. (music) 
for this week's riddle, it's going to be a highly unusual riddle. A highly unusual riddle. The question is as follows. If somebody listens to this show from the beginning to the end, this is the question. What is one up one piece of advice that each and every guest on this show advised as to how Sneas should be taught? That is our question. Somebody listens from the beginning to the end. All of the speakers on the show wasn't planned, but it happened to be that each of them gave an Aitza how should Tznius be properly taught in our schools. Just a quick public service announcement before we go to our guests. I uh, asked Aliyah Goldvich to join us today. He is the founder of the famous Smichas Chaver. And if everyone remembers, he was on a couple years ago at the beginning of Corona, two years ago, last uh, was two Shuas ago. And uh, they had an amazing program, worldwide program with everyone learning over Shuas. So I'd like him to discuss. They're going to do it again. They skipped the year, unfortunately. So Rav Goldvich, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about the learning program that people can participate participate in over Shuas. Thank you so much, Rav Ari. We're going to be having, bringing back the Smichas Chaver Shuas Challenge, where basically we'll give you a link where you can sign up right now, but you will get material specifically geared for your family to learn together with your with your kids. Uh, you'll get Mar Makomos, you'll get question and answers that you can share at the Shuas and Shabbos table. Uh, you'll get different comics that you can show and learn together with your kids. Uh, and the goal is to learn this together as a family unit. And at the end of Shuas, there's going to be a worldwide Kahoot. After Shuas, uh, I assume. After Shuas. After Shuas. After Shuas, there's going to be a worldwide uh, Kahoot on Zoom. Uh, we're basically, we're, we'll have two different Kahoots, one for kids and one for adults, where you'll be getting, there'll be questions that will pop up on, on the screen and you'll answer with your smartphone in, in live time. And you'll play against uh, all the other learners in uh, who, who learn the material over Schwiss. And those who win, we're going to give be giving out uh, cash prizes, first prize, $500, uh, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's an amazing way. Last time we did this, it was incredibly successful. We had, a, a, you know, a, over a thousand people who, who signed up um, and learned the material. We had a few hundred people on, on Zoom. It was it was really incredible for, for the kids, for the parents, uh, for, for everyone. It was it was really wonderful. And you should all sign up. So I'll, I'll give you the link where you can you can sign up. The link is bit.ly forward slash capitalized SCP. The SCP should be capitalized. And then challenge. C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E. So it's bit.ly forward slash SCP challenge, which is SCP, the letters SCP should be capitalized. And then the other word challenge should be lowercase C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E. Come join. You'll have the most amazing shoeless learning ever. You know, we'll, we'll put that on the website as well. If anyone didn't get that, uh, by the way, my children did participate last year. I had a couple of them that stayed up all night learning the Makaros. And I actually was standing right where I'm talking right now, watching, and it was exciting. Um, so everyone join. We'd love to get that up from over a thousand to uh, a few hundred thousand this year. So please sign up, learn, participate, and join the Kahoot. Thank you so much, Rabbi, Rabbi Goldberg. Thank you. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now, let's go to our guests.
Joining us now is Rebitson Esty Hamilton. Rebitson Hamilton has been a teacher and lecturer for almost 20 years, part in Israel and now in London. Her teaching focuses on spiritual growth, character building, and relationships. Through her Torah Anytime Shirim and her blog, she inspires women worldwide. Rebitson Hamilton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure to have you. Let's start with the basics. Sneas. This is a sensitive issue for girls and for women. Whenever you say the word, uh, there was somebody I was going to actually interview, uh, a posek, a big posek on a Snia show, and his wife said, it, you can't go on if you're going to talk about Snias for women. Would you say that things are more difficult in our generation than prior generations? It seems that's the case. And, and maybe as, as, as a secondary question, or maybe it's the same question, what's the impact of social media on girls and, and women's dress? Is, is that something that may be causing it to be more challenging nev- nowadays than it was maybe 20, 30 years ago? Um, I think that sneers is generally tougher because we live in a world where there are no boundaries anymore. So, um, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, everybody dressed somewhere, let's say, or even like 50 years ago, and now nobody is, so there's less boundaries. Also, I think because the world is very open, you don't have to go to Paris to see the fashion shows to know exactly what's on the fashion catwalk in Paris. You don't actually have to leave your house in order to know what's fashionable. And also, fashion is cheap and easily accessible. I can go to my local mall and I can buy a dress that they sold also in Paris for very, very little money. Then I could look like everyone else. So there is definitely, CNS is harder because we live in a generation where there is no modesty at all. We live in a generation where we can, we, we um, are drawn in and we know exactly what's happening around the world in terms of fashion and that we, it is easily accessible to us and cheap to buy. So there's kind of no <laughs> there's no barriers between me being able to buy that thing. Um, how does the impact of social media of girls and women? I think we are, you know, they say the diet, your diet is not only what you eat, it's also what you watch, what you listen to, what you read. So um, we are feeding our mind a diet of constant images, you know, through social media and through any kind of internet or media that you ascribe to whatever it is that you're watching and we're feeding ourselves these images all the time on a subconscious level so we're saying this is beautiful so that let's say the mini skirt is beautiful whatever it is is beautiful and that is not beautiful why because the on the paris fashion you know catwalk that was considered beautiful and that's not considered beautiful or whatever celebrities that you idolize we kind of very very connected to the secular world in many ways and we are um, absorbing subliminal messages all the time, even when we don't realize it, because we um, have a smartphone in our hands and we are, you know, we don't ourselves be bored for a minute. We kind of, the, we are the overstimulated generation. I can never be bored for a minute. So, I mean, that's true also for me when I'm in the car listening to headlines podcast. <laughs> Why? Because I don't want, I'm not, I, I'm in the car by myself and I want, want my mind to be constantly, you know, stimulated. So I listen to stimulating conversation, but the truth is that we're in the generation that that does this all the time and is connected all the time and the disconnection from anything makes us makes us feel you know we 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 can't survive so we need to be connected all the time and therefore the impact on of the social media on girls and women is is it, it ascribes for us a certain standard of beauty um, that has nothing to do with modesty and then when we dress modestly we feel therefore not beautiful so, so th- there are a lot of conflicting messages that that people are seeing out there. And, and just to add on to, to the uh, complexity, if we look at from print media, 
for the most oh. part, we don't see we don't see women in the front print media. If you look at Instagram or something like that, their images all over the place. If you look at from female women's advertising, there's portrayal of women in another way. So how does a girl growing up base Yaakov or a woman, it could be find a good role model when you have all of these confusing messages bombarding you. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you, you intended to enter this kind of conversation, but yes, there's a massive problem with from print media, not including pictures of women. Uh, the problem is, is that everybody is always looking for role models. And if they're not given it in the media that they're, you know, the print media that is brought into the home, they will find it in other places. I was recently discussing this with one of the Rabonin here in London, and I was saying, and he's got many daughters. And I was saying, you know who your daughters, your daughters could probably recognize the pictures of many celebrities. Would they recognize the pictures of any Robertson nowadays? Anyone, just pick one Robertson who's written a book or, you know, who, who is giving over terror messages. Do they know what their face looks like? And if they don't, then what you're saying to your women, to your own daughters is that, you know, I don't want you to see the faces of these holy women, but I don't mind you seeing the faces of celebrities. And I think that that is a huge problem um, besides for the other problem, which is by not printing faces, you're objectifying these women by saying like even seeing their faces is like too much it's not even sanwa which is not what we believe it's a very muslim arab concept that even the faces of women are on sanwa we know ponim is pnim and that that's why women's you know from women must show their faces and we don't cover from women's faces and i feel like there's a massive error taking place where the where, where young girls are looking for role models are not finding them even when Art Scroll or Beltime come out with a book about a famous Robertson, even if she's no longer alive, there are no pictures. And it is shocking in so many ways. And when women complain about it, they're seen as very feminist. And what I'm saying is that the error here is huge because then these women, they go on social media and suddenly they're following celebrities who are not Jewish, who are not Sanua, who are not anything. And they're not really role models for anything, but that's who they end up having an image for in their mind. Um, and then they they want to become that. I'm very rare in that I'm a from woman who also teaches Torah, also has my Shira monitoring time and also has social media accounts. And I opened it during COVID when I felt like lots of women were very depressed and they were so they were anyway scrolling through um, social media. So if they're going to be watching videos of like cats, they should also be watching me giving it to or whatever it is. And I kind of feel like what we really need to do, if everybody is there on Instagram, we should be flooding, we should be flooding social media with positive, inspirational content um, of real, authentic, from women who are out there living a very high-level life instead of saying, no, 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 it's all awesome because really everybody I know has a smartphone. I don't know if that's true in Eric Israel. Still, they managed to hold that back. Many people, uh, you know, a huge percentage of people from people have uh, smartphones and a huge percentage of them are scrolling through social media anyway. And there's thousands, I would say hundreds of thousands of them anyways, they're watching content. Um, I think that we should be flooding out the, you know, the content, good content, high level content, content of deep meaning and thought um, for, so that you can produce real role models instead of 
um, you know, pretending that it doesn't exist and in that way, ignoring that whole I don't know, side of people's lives. Um, and in a way, what we're doing is we are we are we are missing the point we are. Right. unfortunately not able not providing um, the role models that we want to for our women and girls and I think yeah, that, that would also give a, a good vehicle for teaching these issues of SNES not only being the role models but able to, to educate now let's talk about the education that currently exists in schools not all schools but certainly some schools, it seems like the majority of schools and the, the way it's taught in schools, I, I am curious as to why is the message coming out so negatively? towards the girls who are, who are learning this, being taught this in school. Now, I'm wondering if it's how the message is taught. It's not being taught correctly in the how, in the delivery, the form of it. Is it the content that it's not, it's just not being taught the, the proper content? Is it who is teaching it? Or is it such that we just live in a world that we're seeing these uh, message, messages out in the secular world that regardless of the substance or the delivery or the delivery person, it's just going to be difficult teaching SNEAS? Okay, so my answer to this question is, it's everything. <laughs> the problem, the first thing is, who is teaching it? It cannot be a man. Whenever I see in any schools or seminaries that there is a man teaching SNES, and, I, and it could be a very, very holy, amazing, special Rav, and it's got nothing to do with his qualifications or whether he's a Tamil Chacham or if he knows the halacha properly, or all this kind of things. As soon as you have a man teaching SNES, the women are not even listening. The girls are not even listening because it's like as if I would stand up and teach, you know, the halachas of putting on tefillin. You'd say, that is ridiculous. What are you doing? It's not your mitzvah. Why are you teaching it? You shouldn't be teaching it to boys. Boys should be learning halachas of tefillin from other rabbonim who are actually wearing tefillin. And I would agree with you. I would actually agree with you. So the first thing is, is that it cannot be a man teaching tznias because tznias, this part is the women's mitzvah and therefore she's looking for a role model. And this comes into the second point about who's teaching tznias. There also can't be a woman who does not dress well. There are some women who dress frumpy or nerdy or nebby or whatever the word they use. And that's their style of dress. And that is great. And I'm so happy for them. And I'm not saying that they should go out there and be fashionable. They do not have to be. But if you want to teach Sneas in a way that the girls are going to hear it, you have to have a woman standing in front of them who dresses in a way that they can aspire to dress. So let's say if a woman is standing in front of them dressed in a who looks beautiful, but also Tsanua, which is a very amazing balance to figure out and might take a while. But as then somebody can turn around and say, gosh, I can imagine looking like her one day. Then they're listening. I was once in a cafe a few years ago with a not religious girl that I was teaching. And we've gone out for coffee and we're sitting in a kosher cafe in Golders Green. And uh, two women walk in from women and they come sit and drink coffee. And one of them was a beautiful woman dressed Tsanua. And this girl sitting opposite me in jeans who are not religious said to me I can imagine looking like her one day I love what she's wearing and I thought to myself perfect <laughs> that's what this should be it should be like one day I could imagine looking like that I can imagine wearing that and, it, and she was totally tsanua and she was totally appropriate and she also looked good that means women don't want to not look good. So if you have a man teaching sneers, you're already on the back foot. Most people, most of the girls aren't listening. And you have, if you have a woman standing there who is dressed in a way like the ancient boobies dressed, I'm not saying she should dress differently. I'm just saying that the message of sneers won't get across to the 
teenage girls who want to look good and they're looking at her and thinking what she's teaching me to see I don't really ever want to look like that so that's the delivery person and and the, the portrayal of the del- delivery person we want we want somebody who the girl can look up to how about the substance of what is taught and, and I would say if you can build into that the substance of when you're teaching from a blank slate a girl that maybe is younger and hasn't been taught SNES yet, is that any different from a girl who's own, unfortunately been jaded by taught being taught incorrectly the concept of SNES, be it from a man or of a woman who is dressed uh, like a bubby, like a schlump? Not all bubbies dress like schlumps, so I shouldn't be saying that. Um, so uh, in any case, uh, what happens when somebody has been taught and you're kind of uh, resurrecting the situation? Okay, so I used to be into uh, Kirov Rechaikim. I've moved in the last few years more to Kirov Kroivim. But when I taught SNEAS to not religious girls who were not dressing, so no, I never heard of the concept, I spent a few classes teaching that shkopa. And even, and even non-religious girls who dress however they like, they can relate to the hashkapa, the hashkapa of, um, of, of being um, a, a soul, trying not to identify so much with the body, but identify more with the soul, and that the clothing is supposed to highlight the soul, and that when we highlight our body, we are taking away from that, and to bring cover to the self, there is, there is a massive piece of hashkapa when it comes to tzmias, that is that can crack open the heart of every single person, even the not religious. And I think also the religious girl who's been jaded. There is, if we can spend many classes, not one half an hour class, but perhaps the first whole term, what's the hashkafa of Sneas? What does it mean? Which is the only time Sneas is actually written in the Torah. And the translation really of that, of have a relationship with Hashem that nobody else knows about. That's what Sneas really is. And it's so fascinating because Sneas is really about be, being able to have a purpose and a meaning. Like we all say, don't have, you don't want to draw attention to your body. You want to draw attention to your soul. And this whole idea of attention is really the, feed, the feeling, feeding the feeling inside of us that we are somehow lacking. We are some, somehow less than, and I need somebody else to tell me um, that I'm okay in order for me to be okay. So there's a certain self-esteem issue here that says like, I, need, I'm only, I only exist to the extent that you acknowledge my existence. I'm only worthy to the extent that you think that I'm worthy. But when we understand that I'm worthy because Hashem created me, and, I, and my existence is important because if it wasn't, I would not exist anymore. That means it's not got to do whether somebody else acknowledges my existence. And it's not got to do whether somebody else thinks I'm worthy. So the whole idea of you want attention for your neshama and not attention for your guf, the whole idea of attention needs to be kind of lifted up and taken out of the, uh, of the equation. And the idea is really that we should be teaching our girls and women to find purpose and meaning in their life. And I remember as a teenage girl, I hardly, you know, I've struggled a lot with dressing Sanua. A lot, a lot, like every single girl that I knew. And the the moment or the year that t- it turned around for me is when I was actually in my second year of seminary and I didn't have one class on SNES the entire year. And instead, I had amazing, amazing teachers like Rabbi Kellerman and Rabbi Heller and Rabbi Tribbetts and Rabbi... I mean, I could list you the names. I brought, you know, in Eretz Israel, you get these uh, amazing high-quality teachers. And what they did was they totally ignored your clothes as if it's not relevant. What is relevant? 
finding meaning, finding purpose, having relationship with our Kodesh Baruch Hu, deciding who you want to be. And they, they did mention Sias the entire year. And by the end of the year, I was dressing Sanua. Nobody had mentioned the length of my skirt or how tight or what color I was wearing. And I think that that, that is where really um, what, what we really have to do. The way that we change the way we're teaching Sias is that the Hashkofa has to be all about that. Um, recently, um, in one of the Jewish magazines, two, three weeks ago, there came out an advert um, that was so uh, so vehemently um, uh, received that in the next copy of their magazine, they had to print an apology. And in the advert, it said, um, when you come back from seminary, come to our gym, we'll help you lose all the weight that you put on in seminary in order for you to be able to get a shadow. Something like that in that vein. And everybody, all the women who read it had such a visceral reaction to what are you doing? Because really, all what you're saying with this message is that the most important thing for you to do in order to get a shidduch is what? Your body, your guf has to look good. It has nothing to do with your hashkafas, your relationship with Hashem, you having grown as a person. It, it, all of it ended up being about body. And, and when the Jewish world, the from Jewish world, buy into the body beautiful, as a collective, when we do that, we um, we are destroying Sneas Legumri for all the women. Because some women will buy into it because they'll want to get a good shidduch, but nobody's buying into it because of Hatsnei Alephes and Imerikecha. Nobody's buying into it because of what modesty really is. They're only buying into it because of societal pressure. And, and then you see married women who are 5, 10, 15 years married dressing totally on Sanua. And you're like, what happened? And I can tell you what happened. Nobody has taught them Nashkofa, what Sneas is. Nobody, they didn't learn it, not in school, not in seminary, and not from the, the from society that they're in. They also didn't learn it from. So I think that... Um, how we teach it is that we first have to teach Ashkafa and Halavai, we can only teach Ashkafa. Because my experience from my own experience in my youth is when somebody spent a year teaching me Ashkafa, my, my sneers improved 150% more than all the years that I spent in Beisiaqa with somebody telling me again, your skirt, your top, your this, your that, this is too low, this is too high, this is too tight, whatever it is, all the things, all of that. They kind of made it seem like, ah, it's irrelevant. And and really, our Torah Hashkafa is that the body is only clothed for your soul. And your body is kind of irrelevant, meaning you should dress nicely. That's a Kiddush Hashem. You should look good. You should feel about, good about the way you look. You should kind of look in the mirror, get dressed in the morning, feel good about what you're wearing, and then not think about your clothing for the rest of the day. It should be just like something that you put on in the morning. You make sure that, you know, it's matching. It looks good. You feel good about yourself. And then the rest of the day should be filled with meaning and purpose and striving and and everything else that's a high level thought that has nothing to do with your clothes. Yeah, that's quite that's quite a story that the impact on you in second year seminary was when they didn't mention it at all. So how, obviously you're saying teach from the inside, not from the outside. Yeah, so much deeper than that. Your teachers have to genuinely feel that your clothing is irrelevant. And I don't think that's really happening. I so, think that teachers are looking at clothing and thinking that this is very relevant. And um, when I was around a group of Talmidot Chachamot and Talmidei Chachamim, who really, really were talking about the purpose of your neshama, it really, really genuinely came from a place where we're all neshamas, we're all striving to be great, we're striving to be awesome people. It, it, it wasn't that they were covering up, really they were irritated by what I was wearing, but they didn't say anything. It was really irrelevant to them. Right. Now, so, so talk to us then, if, if you're in a school, a, a, a high school, 
and girls are not adhering to the dress code. How should that be enforced? Because that's focusing on the outside. Okay. And, 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 and they feel the need that we need immediate results. It's an, an embarrassment for the school. They may have a negative impact on the other girls in the class. How, how is that dealt with? Okay, so I've got a good story for you. And then I've got um, what I think should be done. Again, this is all, all my opinion. So there's Beisiakovs in Eretz Israel that have hundreds and hundreds of girls per year. So the Beisiakovs are massive. I, I can't even imagine the numbers. Maybe in America you can. In England, the numbers are much smaller. The schools are much smaller. So when you say there's 300 girls per year, it just boggles the mind. So there's these really from, from, from Beisiakovs, hundreds of girls per year. And they, they have a very strict dress code. And I remember hearing from one of my teachers in Eretz Israel at the time we were living in Eretz Israel about how they changed the attitude towards CS in their school. And I thought it was amazingly brilliant. And this is what they did. They, they had decided that for their school, a certain type of tights and a certain denier of tights had to be worn. It was part of their school uniform. They also claimed that it was a part of Hilchah Sneas, which I, I don't think, but they, this was their uniform. Okay. And then what happened was, is they have hundreds of girls per year in the, in the school. And when a teacher would spot a student with the wrong tights, they would send her home. Now, for a girl to go home, she'd have to get on the bus. It might take a half an hour, 45 minutes to get home. She then would have to change her tights if she had the appropriate tights. If not, she'd have to go buy a pair. Then she'd have to change her tights. Then she'd have to come back. It would lead to maybe two, three hours of not being in school and huge resentment on the part of the students. And there was lots of negativity around SNES and they saw it in their school and they thought, how can we change the atmosphere in the school around SNES? We don't really want it all to be about the tights, but it's becoming all about the tights. They, they appealed to a donor to provide them with 2,000 pairs of a certain pair of tights. And they assigned a room called the tights room. And any girl who wasn't wearing the right pair of tights, they would say to the girl, do you mind just going to the room, grabbing yourself a pair of tights, changing, and come back to the classroom? And they said the entire atmosphere changed. The girl wasn't being punished. She didn't have to go home. She didn't miss hours and hours of lesson. You know, lots of girls maybe couldn't afford the tights that the, 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 the they were asking for, or the mother didn't buy them the tights. So all the tights have, that they have at home that were appropriate maybe had holes in or ladders in, or, or you've no idea what the situation of that particular girl is. So you might be building up resentment based on not even a girl who doesn't want to wear the right tights. Just she, it wasn't available to her. They didn't have it. They didn't order it. They forgot to buy it. Maybe she's one of 10 girls who lives at home. Everybody else took the tights first this morning. Nobody knows what's going on. And therefore they said that the atmosphere in the school overnight changed and everybody wanted these tights because they were such good quality tights. And these, this donor was willing to keep this stock room filled with tights for however long needed for these girls to not miss school, not be resentful of the Everybody thought, oh, if I don't have the right tights, I'll get a really nice new pair of tights. And that's amazing. And I love wearing these tights. They're so comfortable. They're such good quality, etc., etc. And I thought that that was so brilliant because... Sometimes what happens is with SNES is that um, it becomes like the fault of the student. Why didn't you wear the right skirt? Why didn't you wear the right top? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And sometimes you just don't know the situation of the child at home. Sometimes the girl has suddenly grown two inches. She didn't even realize or some, or whatever it is. Or even a girl who is bedafka doing it uh, because of the negative attention. What you're doing is giving her terrible associ associations with wearing the school uniform. So I thought to myself, brilliant. Every single Vesiakov school should have a room with spare uniform. You're not wearing the right thing. Do you mind just going 
rooms, their rooms wear the right thing. It doesn't have to do with halachot tzniyas. We just want all the girls in the school to look the same. And therefore, you avoid the issue of people who can't afford it, people who don't realize what they look like when they're wearing certain things, um, girls perhaps who uh, maybe put on weight, their skirt doesn't fit them anymore, and therefore it's shorter. You know, I, I, there's many, I could give you 10 reasons that have nothing to do with a girl trying to act out on tzniyas, why she's not wearing the correct uniform. You should teach the girls, this is our school uniform. Every school has a school uniform. The non-Jewish school, have a school uniform primary schools high schools this is not a serious issue everybody has to look presentable when they're sitting in class and learn it you know these are our school rules and we shouldn't teach it like it's serious and the reason why it is is because and this is also um i suppose something that's wrong that happens in serious is that it's not taught what is actually serious and what is hid or mitzvah so let's say they're taught you have to have your skirt four inches below the knees and it's taught as that is actually the halacha of serious and not just the hid or mitzvah and then when girls grow up to be women and they find out something different or they're taught something different all that happens is that they lose trust in the people who've taught them the halacha they're like oh my teacher didn't know really halacha they were just espousing a social i don't know a social construct that has nothing to do with what hashem really wants me to do and it makes them uh, especially if it was a man that was teaching them there's lots going on here so i think when it comes to schools responding to non-compliance they should recognize that not every girl who's dressing ansanoa is trying to dress ansanoa um there could be lots going on that has nothing to do with sneers um they should have a room with really nice not old secondhand. Somebody should donate, you know, 20 skirts, 20 sweaters, 20 shirts, 20 pairs of tights. It should be brand new in the package. They don't want to feel like charity cases in there. And then they don't have any negative associations. They got a brand new skirt. Excellent. And somebody could even donate it. They don't have to pay for it. We want to take away all the stress of having to comply with sneers rules, with a school uniform. And also school uniform should not be espoused as this is the sneers rules, but rather this is just what we... It's a dress code. It's dress code. code. Yes, absolutely. Rebetzin Hamilton, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Really uh, eye-opening and some very wise advice there on how to handle the, the uh, not sneers, dress code issues in the school. Thank you so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Joining us now is Rabbi Anthony Manning. Rabbi Manning is a popular lecturer at numerous yeshivas and seminaries in Israel. He is also the co-director of Mizdresh at Tehillah Seminary. He also lectures worldwide on numerous halachic topics, halachic ashkafik, and he's also close to publishing an expansive work on the halachas and ashkafas behind Sneas. Rabbi Manning, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi Wasserman. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Rabbi Manning, I want to start out with something that's very much on my mind. If you think about the major issues, the hot ticket issues when it comes to men and women, that really is number one. You know, each of them have, have one, men, Talmud Torah, and women, Sneas. And, and, and we hear the phrase, Sneas for women is just like Talmud Torah for men. Where does this stress on sneers for women, where does it come from that this is the mitzvah for women? Is, is that correct or is that not correct if we're looking into Makoros? 
Right. So this, this is something which uh, is heard a lot and is stressed a lot. And I might start by saying that whenever you compare anything to the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, you're making a very, very big statement. Talmud Torah for men, Chazal consistently talk about, and Talmud Torah in general, not just for men, Talmud Torah for the world, Bereshit Barai for the sake of Reshit, which is Torah, the world was created. Yomorim Psachim says, in Mali Torah, Loinis Kaimu, Shemayim Va'aret. So, the, the 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 idea of Talmud Torah is absolutely fundamental to the world that we live in. So whenever you compare anything to Talmud Torah, one has to understand what kind of a massive statement one is making. So that that's the first thing to understand. Um, now, some women may relate to this statement and may find it empowering in others in some ways. Um, other women find the statement that sneers for women is like. Torah for men, alienating or, or even worse. I mean, leaving aside the issue that Torah is also for women, which is not the subject of our uh, conversation today, but that is a very important conversation that Torah is not just an issue for men. Um, the idea that uh, Sneas is for women, the tikkun that Torah brings to the world, um, is, is something that some people find um, alienating, as I said. Where does it come from? So the, the origin of this idea is actually in a letter that the Vilna Gon wrote when he went to, uh, to move to Eretz Israel to try tried to move to Eretz Israel. He wrote a letter back to his family, uh, encouraging them to uh, be strong in their in their midas against anger, against jealousy, against lash and horror. And then he writes something of which there are two different versions. Uh, one version is that he praises his mother for her sneers and says that because of her sneers, she needs less, uh, perhaps, encouragement or musa than anybody else. And the other version is that he says these words, that just as Torah is an antidote to sin for men, so too sneers is an antidote to sin for women. So there is a version of that letter from the Vilna Gon, which does include those words. And there's a dispute in the art scroll version of that letter. They put that in square brackets. So there is a debate about that. But leaving that aside, whatever the Gon says is obviously important. And this statement, whatever it was, if it came from the Vilna Gon, needs to be taken seriously. But it needs context. We base our Torah Hashkofa on the statements of the Tanakh, of Chazal, of the Rishonim, of the Achronim, of the Poskim. We develop a, a, a multifaceted picture which often speaks with different voices and there are hundreds of sources from classic sources about sneers hundreds uh, which speak in different ways and are empowering and enriching in different ways so i think that even if this statement from the vilna gone is accurate and and definitely needs to be taken seriously it, it shouldn't be the focus of the of a whole worldview on sneers because that's out of of sync with the way that we view anything else we never take in one statement of the achronim and just make it the approach to any particular terror issue and this one is particularly dangerous because the obvious next logical step that people might conclude from this is, well, if women are not keeping the mitzvah sneers, then in some way they're destroying or undermining the world, which creates an incredibly negative culture of blame. And, and it's so unnecessary because it is not the Hashkafa on sneers. It is one statement amongst many. And it's also, you know, part of a, of a kind of quick fix culture that we think that all the world's problems can be solved if we can just do this. And that will solve all of the uh, all of the issues that we have, which itself is, is 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 simplistic and unhelpful. I remember Rav Berkowitz often used to stress, you know, what is the most important mitzvah? So if you look in Chazal, so you'll find that well, Talmud Torah is the most important mitzvah, but Tzitzis is the most important mitzvah, but living there in Israel is the most important mitzvah. And once you actually add it together, all the 
mitzvahs, which are the most important mitzvah, you end up with almost every mitzvah. And the reason for that is that we're meant to be all-rounders. We're meant to be people with a broad base in the way we see the Torah and, and the way we understand Torah, Ashkafa, and the world. And therefore, wherever we focus extremely precisely on one issue, it's usually uh, it's usually not helpful. And specifically here, when it's so dangerous, so unnecessary, it doesn't mean it's completely untrue, but it's it's decontextualized. Okay, so that, that's an important point. And, and, and you did man, mention that the, the focus on SNEAS, what could happen is that if there's a breach of SNEAS and the fingers are pointed, that all the issues in the world and uh, difficulties that point that Kalishal encounters is because of a breach of that concept. Now, obviously, it's important that we can understand, based on the Gras letter, if it was accurate that that is the gears of the letter, what, what's the core issue for Tzniyas? And there's a, a recurring refrain when you speak with women who have gone through the system that they've been told numerous times that the issue of Tzniyas, the reason for Tzniyas, the basis for Tzniyas is that they have to dress properly because the boys are looking, the men are looking, and they have to be sure to not violate the halachas of Lif and uh, XYZ is on the minds of the men, and it's incumbent upon the girls to ensure that men don't have those thoughts and the like. And 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 the response that many girls have is that, why is that my problem? Mm-hmm. Men should be supervising themselves, and they should be responsible for their own thoughts. Why do I have to obviously dress, I, I should dress Sanua, but why all the chumras, why the extremity, why it's so extreme when it comes to sneers when it's not me, it's him, just don't look at me. And and would you say that that is a, a recurring refrain that you hear when uh, you speak with the girls in the seminary, for example? And would you say that that is the basis of sneers or is that more of a side point? Well, it's definitely a recurring refrain. Um, it's one of the refrains that you hear just as you hear Sneas is, is connected uh, in, inextricably from with Erifa, which is also uh, an issue that we talked about on a previous show, which is also um, a refrain that you hear, which is not accurate in and of itself. But certainly the issue of Lifnei Iver is a major misunderstanding. So let's, let's build this up. Lifnei Iver is a Torah mitzvah. It applies to men and to women. And it applies across the board whenever we do something which facilitates or encourages somebody else to do a, a sin or a veira, whether it's a Jew or a non-Jew. Lifnei Iver applies to helping anybody or assisting anybody in doing something they're not meant to do. So then we have a responsibility to that. For that. Um, so Lifnei Iva is a mitzvah which binds all uh, Jewish people. But Sneas is not based on Lifnei Iva. Uh, Sneas is a much more um, self integrated concept which goes to the issue of personal dignity, of awareness of oneself, of being Lifnei Hashem in private, in public. And, you know, now is not the time to build up the entire picture of, of the development of Sneas, but it's, it, that's the purpose of the book. And the book does that over the course of 100 or 200 pages. Um, Lifnei Iva is not the root of the mitzvah of Sneas, and uh, even though it forms part of one's Beinad and Lechavera. So where does it fit in? So the question you're asking is a good one. How much are, uh, let's say, women responsible for the way that men are unable to control themselves? So on a certain level, you know, a man may be disturbed by the very existence of a woman in the public domain. That doesn't mean women don't are not allowed to come out because a man can't deal with that. Um, the Gemara says very clearly, if a man looks inappropriately at the little finger of a woman, then it's as if he looked at her entirely inappropriately. And clearly women don't have to cover their little fingers and wear gloves just because there's a man who might do that, which is clearly wrong. Um, so 
de- definitely men are required to um, to control themselves and to develop their own ability to integrate normally. Having said all of that, Lifne Eva still applies. There is a point at which um, if a person, a woman, or for that matter, a man, dresses in a way which is in breach of halacha and encourages other people to, um, to do averis of different kinds, then they will have responsibility for that. But that's a Bein Adam Lechaveira responsibility. That's personal consideration. That's just being a decent human being. Why would you want to encourage anybody else to do something which was inappropriate? That's not coming from the laws of Sneas. That, co- that comes from the basic consideration of, of other people. So yes, Livne Ivo will apply at a certain point. It needs to be borne in mind, but it's not the root of Sneas. Sneas is based on many other factors, which we don't have the time to get into now. But I would also say that it's important that we find a way to uh, not make matters worse by over-sexualizing every potential encounter between men and women. That's something which a lot of people have spoken up about over the, the uh, recent years. Men have to be able to um, interact normally and naturally with women in society in normal and, and, and reasonable situations. They have to be able to see people, to see images of people which are appropriate, etc. And, and one of the problems that we sometimes have is by stressing the sexualization of every encounter, we actually make things worse. So yes, men have a responsibility to be able to interact normally, but men and women have a responsibility to not cause other people to do things which they're not meant to do. But that's part of their general which needs to be taken very seriously, but is not really part of the laws of SNES. Let's go back to the Bein Adam Lechaveiro issue. And uh, you just mentioned something interesting. Sometimes you have to deal with an issue. There's a real breach of, of the dress code, for example, and need, you need to deal with it. And sometimes you want to also send a message to those other people. Maybe it's not the person who's violating right now, but there are other people that see it's going on and they would be prone to violating it. And w- one of the main themes, if not the main theme that we're talking about on this show is the trauma of Sneas enforcement. And you hear another refrain over another when speaking with girls. I remember we had a, a girl over once and I asked her what her experience, and she was over for lunch, one of my uh, daughter's friends. And uh, I said, what was her experience in, in uh, high school? And she says, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story about the enforcement. And the question is on this Bein Adam Lechaveiro issue, are there limitations? Are there isurim of the person enforcing it, be it the principal or a teacher? Or do we say that if the girl is here, she knows the rules, she knows what the deal is, and she's breaching the rules, then it's it's fair game to enforce against her in a public way. She's violating the law. It's her problem. And maybe it's not a problem embarrassing her in front of the of the of the school, in front of the class, because we also want to give everyone else a message as well. Maybe that embarrassment is litoelis. So what, what would you say about the halachas of enforcement? What are limitations? What's permitted when it comes to the halachas of Benadama Chavero? So the first thing which I think causes a lot of damage is um, the importance of separating the discussion of sneers from the issue of dress code. Um, often people conflate those, especially in high school, and that's very damaging because then SNEAS is seen as uh, a rule uh, which is uh, upsetting to people and has been enforced in a, in often in a way which uh, girls are you know resentful about. So the first thing that, that again, all of the schools that I've ever been involved in, certainly Madrash Tehillah, is the conversation about SNEAS happens in an entirely different context to that of dress code. Um, it's essential that a school have a dress code. It's for the benefit of everybody so that there's transparency and honesty. So if somebody comes... You 
you know, dressed in something that it, I mean, almost every institution has some kind of dress code. Um, uh, and, and the people in the institution have to know where those lines are, and they agree to those when they come in. So I would always completely separate dress code from sneers and make sure that the dress code is seen as just one of the rules of the school, uh, which a person joining that institution has agreed to before they come in. So that, that's an essential first point. Um, in almost every situation, in my experience, the enforcement of any rules should be personal and private, meaning publicly there can be a general conversation about strengthening the rule if there's, a, if there's an issue going on. But, but actually enforcing a rule and, 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 de- and confronting somebody who is breaching a rule, it's very rare that that can ever be done effectively in a public forum, especially with dress code which is so personal, people take it very personally, it goes to their self-image in in many ways. I think it absolutely has to be private. Um, And it has to be done in a context as well. Um, The person who is enforcing the dress code has to be someone who has a relationship. This is true of Tzolchacha, generally, has a relationship with the individual who is listening to that so that they can see it in a context. It has to be holistic. Um, And in this sense, I think that seminaries actually have an advantage over high school. High schools, in high school, it's very difficult to develop that more mature, more nuanced relationship because you're in school and then you go home. In seminary, it's part of a holistic growth experience that you can actually engage with people on so many different levels. And therefore, hopefully, when you have a conversation with them about a dress code issue, it is part of a much bigger context in which they can see it as part of that relationship and take it in a more um, in a more adult way. Uh, you certainly can't inha- embarrass people. That's There's no excuse for that. You certainly can't harass people. Um, you can never communicate personal rejection whenever you give any kind of tochacha. That's basic tochacha. You know, even when you're dealing with uh, the Mufrashim talk about, the, the Balatani talks about this, Rav Kook talks about this, even when you're dealing with someone who's a real Russia, which obviously you're not dealing with in the cases of dress code enforcement, but even with a real Russia, Rav Kook is quick to say that the, the mitzvahs of and have not been removed. You still have those obligations to that person, even though you need to confront them. All the more so in a, in a situation that we're talking about where we're not dealing with Rashaim, but we're trying to you know, make an impact on people. So private, personal, part of a context. Um, and, and as I say, seminary is, a, is an opportunity to do that in a more mature way, which hopefully people can move on from high school where it wasn't always easy to do that. So what you are saying is when it comes to enforcement of dress code, I'm not going to say it's near, enforcement of dress code, the standard Allah has applied and we don't have an exemption just because this person is in breach of laws that they know they should be adhering to. So let's assume a teacher or principal did embarrass a girl in public and is listening to Rabbi Anthony Manning speaking here on headlines. Is that a basis for requiring Nechila, request for Nechila from the students if something was done along those lines? That would be the standard approach to any, any violation of these halachas of, of embarrassing somebody in front of a class, for example. Right. There's, there's a fascinating halachic question if you're dealing with a child below bar or bas mitzvah, whether mechila works, does it work for monetary issues, does it work for personal issues? That's really not what we're talking about here because we're dealing with young adults um, and uh, when you're dealing with another person, uh, even if they're 17 or 18 years old and you're older, there's no question that mechila is, uh, is something that one sometimes needs to, to ask for. Ask for. Uh, occasionally, with the best will in the world, a comment can come out as, you know, unintentionally, too harshly, in the wrong tone. It's, you know, that's part of being human. Um, it's true in marriage, it's true in relationships of all kinds. Uh, so, yes, I think it is uh, good uh, practice and also good chinuch 
to ask people for mechila, to say, I apologize, I said that, you know, it came out the wrong way. First of all, it encourages the student to be moichel, which is itself a mitzvah. And it also encourages them to ask for mechila, um, uh, to model the, the, the behavior that they're seeing in their own teachers when they need to ask for mechila. Asking for mechila is not an easy thing. So yeah, I don't think that people should be on a daily basis asking for mechila. And if they are, they're probably in the wrong job. Um, but uh, definitely the ability to accept and to admit and to have an adult conversation and say, look, that came out wrong, I'm sorry. But you know, the point I was trying to make was, etc. Um, that That's good. That you need to have with your students. You need to have covered. The Rav has to have covered for the Talmudian as well. That point comes up again and again uh, in, in a discussion of Chinuch. Um, and, uh, and, and every Rav, whether they're a teacher, a man or a woman, has to bear that in mind as well. I mean, when it comes to the enforcement, uh, you, you hear different things in different schools about who's actually doing the enforcement. Sometimes it's the, the Minaheles, the, the female principal. Sometimes she has an assistant principal. Sometimes they're designated people enforcing sc- teachers, etc. And sometimes it happens to be a male principal who is going and making comments on dress code violation. So the question is, uh, is, is that in of itself a breach of Sneas that you have a man commenting, or maybe then we have to distinguish between Sneas and dress code. If he's commenting on something that's a Sneas issue, certainly an Erva issue, then that would be highly problematic. A dress code issue is just another rule, or would we say still, if it's a dress code, it's her sweater, he shouldn't be commenting. Or on the other hand, so many on on the other hands here, uh, maybe if it's something that's so obvious, she is out of uniform, the dress code is a blue shirt with the insignia of the school, and she's wearing a hot pink top. So that's something that anyone would see. Are we going to start distinguishing between what the comment is or should it just be a female? I'm very interested to hear what you have to say on this one. Well, as I said before, I'm not telling anyone how they should run their institutions, but um, in Madras Tehillah and in every seminary I've been involved in, certainly over the last 15 years, um, there's been a very clear rule that no male member of staff can make any comment at all about the individual's dress or appearance uh, of one of the students. Uh, whether it's a negative comment or a positive comment, both of those... That's even worse. Yes, cro- both of those cross lines in different ways and are inappropriate. So certainly uh, I would say that that whether it's dress code or sneers uh, you know, in an individual sense, um, a man should not uh, uh, raise that with a girl under any circumstance. Um, I think that a man can clarify to the school as a whole when speaking in general what the policy of the school is, that's fine. But on an individual level, uh, if a man has uh, sees that there's a dress code violation in a seminary, and I think it should be the, 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 the case in high school as well, uh, they should speak to one of the senior women who is responsible for um, dealing with dress code issues. And again, that separates it from sneers. And it should be somebody who the girls know is responsible, not just a random woman who is going to come in and, and criticize, but someone, again, with whom they have hopefully a relationship. And again, this is easier in seminary, someone that they know, someone that can talk to them personally and privately um, about these issues. So yes, the man should raise it with the other female member of staff who is dealing with these issues. And then she should you know, speak to the girl in private about how that works. Um, and in my experience, that works wonderfully. Um, uh, men do not need to be raising these issues at all. I think, however, there are people, um, I've heard people say that they don't think men should ever be talking about sneers on any level. It's inpro- inappropriate for a man to address the, the, the very topic. I think that's a mistake because that um, maybe inadvertently, um, you know, supports a narrative which sneers only applies to women. 
which is uh, something which we've been you know, discussing previously on these shows, which is not true. Sneers is a topic which goes to the root of being a, ver- a Jew, whether you're a man or a woman. And therefore to say that men shouldn't be speaking about sneers is to divert from that very important point. But on a personal level, whether it's dress code or a personal sneers issue, men should not be discussing that. Men should be talking to the female members of staff and they should raise the issues. Uh-huh. So let's assume that there was enforcement done in an improper way, be it by a male or female, shouldn't have, been, shouldn't have been done by the male, if it was, or at least a female, and the girl literally is damaged by it, their self-worth, self-esteem, and certainly their view of Tznius has been negatively impacted. And they come off to, to seminary, you, you've dealt with the, the gamut of girls coming from modern Orthodox to, to, to very yeshivas. How do you handle when you're dealing with a girl who has been harmed by enforcement, overly uh, strict enforcement? How do, you, how do you try to recover from something like that? Sure. Look, I think as a seminary uh, principal, it, it's very important not to undermine the high schools. Um, a lot of high schools do a very good job, uh, or at least they try to do a very good job. Um, and a lot of things that girls say they learn in high school or they didn't learn in high school, it's not entirely true. Not everybody is in uh, listening and learning mode when they're in ninth, 10th and 11th grade. Um, and therefore, sometimes high schools have said things which are very positive and very sophisticated and the girls just haven't necessarily heard it that way. That's true. And therefore, I, I, I try very hard not to undermine the high schools. Um, I, I think that there is a natural progression as you go through through education that as you become more senior, you learn more nuanced and sophisticated things that that override in some way what you learned previously. That's true of science. That's true of everything. You don't you don't blame your sixth grade science teacher for not giving you a university level or postdoctorate level physics. You, you don't blame them. They taught you what was needed at the time. And the Rambam says this in his introduction to Marin Vuchim that that as education goes up, you need to, to to introduce people to more sophisticated ideas. So I think it's important to you know I would say to the girls, look, whatever happened to you in high school, um, we, we're not in high school anymore. This is a seminary. This is a more a broader conversation. It's a deeper conversation. It's more sophisticated sophisticated and nuanced, like any learning process. Now we can readdress these issues at SNEAS um, uh, from, from a, from starting from, from scratch, starting from a whole different maybe uh, approach. Um, and uh, obviously um, there are people who have been scarred, um, people who have been scarred and, and damaged in all sorts of ways. And some things are inexcusable. Uh, one particular student said to me that they had a conversation with someone in high school about the fact that it was a very hot day and they're really sorry, but they didn't want to wear something longer because it was so hot, to which they were told, well, it's going to be a lot hotter in Gehenna. Um, I, I don't think that's uh, on any level helpful. And I can see why a comment like that can be damaging for life. Um, so people have to think very carefully at whatever level that they, uh, that how they, how they deal with these issues. But I, I would definitely, uh, you know, take the view that look, we're, we're in a new environment now. We're, we're going to readdress things. We're going to start from basics. We're going to understand the suit. You separate the dress code from the sneers, start from scratch. What is sneers? How does it work? What, where does it come from? Let's learn it like we learn Hilchas Shabbos, Hilchas Kashras, Ben Amla Chavero, and, and really, you know, turn over a, a fresh page on that. Issues which go to the, you know, damaging, psychologically damaging, uh, you know, nature of, of, of high school sometimes have to be dealt with. But they're not part of the classroom discussion. They're part of the general mental health uh, discussion, which obviously is extremely important in, in seminary as well and, and is part of the growth process too. Hey, so w- when girls come to seminary, do they ask you proactively, we'd like to hear about SNEAS, or is that something that you proactively address with them? Uh, no, they do ask. 
they want to hear about it. They're interested in it. They've heard a lot about it. Either they've heard too much about it and they want to know what's right and what's not right, or, or it's not been addressed as much. And I don't think it matters whether you come from a more yeshivish school or more modern orthodox school. Sometimes Sneers is overemphasized. Sometimes it's just kind of not spoken about because it's just too, it's the elephant in the room that no one wants to discuss. Um, but I find that people are actually quite keen. Uh, they, they are, they've heard a lot of random rules that they don't quite know where they come from. Why is this okay, but this not okay? Where does it... And, and in, in, in almost every other area that they've been learning halacha, they've been shown a, a structure, a sukkah. This is the posik, and these are the gemaras, and these are the rishonim, and this is the discussion in shulchan aruch, or something of that nature. But they often haven't been shown that in, uh, when it comes to sneers. Um, and they're wondering why not. And, and they're suspecting that if they haven't seen that, then maybe it doesn't exist. Well, it does exist. They just need to see it. Uh, and therefore, I actually find that the conversation is, uh, is, is very productive. We usually leave it till second semester in, in a seminary uh, environment to, to really deal with these issues. Because A, we don't want people to feel this is the first issue they have to deal with in seminary. And B, people need to settle in. People need to, to, to develop a little bit, to, to, to mature a little bit, which they do very clearly through the year. And then we have that conversation. So we, we launch that conversation in, in earnest in, in January, February, etc., and move it from there. Obviously, again, dress code is different. Dress code is discussed before people arrive, and, and, and that's a separate conversation. But I actually find that people are, are very keen to learn. And ask good questions uh, in the classroom. Yeah, just something that came to, to mind. It seems that you have some sort of accent as, as, we're, as we're speaking. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when it comes to girls coming from, from different countries and different backgrounds, do they come to you with different understandings? Have you seen like the Americans comes with this understanding of Tznias and the British girls come with, and the South Africans come with a different and the yeshivish come with this and the modern Orthodox come with this? Or, or is it fairly uh, similar in, in their uh, understandings? I, I think everybody's understanding is a bit of a challenge. Um, and doesn't have any clear structure. I haven't seen that. And again, high schools do a great job in many cases, and I would not dream of undermining them, but the girls are not coming out of that experience with clarity. That's for sure. And I don't think it matters whether they come from England, South Africa, America, whether they're yeshivish, modern Orthodox. I haven't yet found people who have uh, nuanced understandings of that, but that's okay. I mean, if they've been in high school, maybe they've been listening, maybe they haven't, maybe they've been taught, maybe they haven't. Uh, now you can address that topic uh, in seminary in a, in a different kind of way. So I don't think that there's uh, anybody doing a particularly worse job than anybody else. And, and you know, I read an interesting study of the Ulpanot also in, in Israel and the Beis Yaakovs. Everyone's having the same um, uh, challenges, whether they're coming from this Hashkofa or that Hashkofa. This, this, is, this is a topic that everybody needs to think about a little bit more, I think. So Rabbi Manning, last question for you. When's the book coming out? We're all waiting. Ah. So uh, COVID has unfortunately slowed down supply chains in every area, but we're very much hoping that the book will be coming out later this year, Be'ezrat Hashem, uh, Rosh Hashanah time, maybe a little bit after that, but we will keep everybody posted and we will uh, raise awareness of it as we go. And hopefully it'll be another tool that people will be able to use to, uh, to give a more nuanced and sophisticated understanding of, of what is a very important, but a very tricky topic. Definitely looking forward to seeing the book. Rabbi Manning, want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much, Robert Wasserman. Joining us now is Sara. Sara is a base Yaakov graduate. She is married currently with four kids of various ages, including a baby. All are in mainstream yeshiva. She is here to give us a flavor of what it's like to go through the system, Tznias requirements, Tznias enforcement, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Sara, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
It is a pleasure. So, Sara, talk to us about your earliest memories of SNEAS requirements and enforcement in school. Um, okay, so um, just before I start, I just want to say that I'm I'm not at all here to rail against Basiakov. My own kids are going to Basiakov, so you know this is not me coming here with a chip on my shoulder. So I'm just I just want to say what my experience was, and hopefully um, educators can can learn from that. So uh, my first real memory about SNES was in middle school, um, in sixth grade. Our female principal used to stand at the bottom of the steps and watch us walk up the steps to class. And there was a rule starting from sixth grade that you needed to wear tights, not knee socks anymore. So she would look up our skirts as we went up the steps to see if we were following the rules. And anyone who wasn't wearing tights was sent home to change. And that doesn't sound uh, that doesn't sound very sanua to be looking up the girls' skirts. It definitely wasn't. And I, I think it's a real perversion of Tsnias. Um, I, I guess she justified it by saying it's for a greater good, it's for a good purpose. I think it's a real breach of privacy and a breach of Tsnias as well. In the same grade, in sixth grade, um, the principal would come into our classroom with a ruler and she would measure the girls' skirts. And anyone with a skirt that was less than four inches below the knee was sent home to change skirts. And this was done in public in front of everyone. So it was public shaming. And some girls really were very embarrassed. I wonder how that feels to be measured. I mean, this is unfortunately a common story because when you have a a dress code and if it's 10 centimeters, four inches, some schools, 15 centimeters now below the knee and you have to somehow enforce it. But to be measured in public, it, uh, I, I would think it's not the most pleasant of, of uh, things to happen to somebody. Right. And, and also every girl looks different. So it's really, it's really a very arbitrary number. And I, I don't think there's anywhere in the Torah that says your skirt has to be four inches below the knee. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how this rule came about. And I don't know why it was being enforced in the middle of class in front of everyone. We also had a grade bas mitzvah, um, also in sixth grade. And we would need, in order to go to the bas mitzvah, we had to get our dresses pre-approved by the principal to make sure that they fit all the guidelines. Um, instead of just accepting that we know how to dress when we come to school. So it's very unlikely that someone would come in with something inappropriate. Right. That doesn't make you feel very trusted. No, and 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 CS in general wasn't taught in a in a format where hey we trust you you guys are 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 responsible you're becoming you're becoming older and we're gonna we're gonna help you it's more like we're gonna clamp down on you and and make things very unpleasant. <laughs> Right, right. All right, so let's move on to high school. You continued in Beis Yaakov, same one, different one. H- how was SNEAS taught? Did they discuss the, the importance of SNEAS when you came in? Was there any change in uh, how SNEAS was approached, or was it simply a continuation of what you started in sixth grade? Um, so actually, it was a little bit, it was, it was a, it was, it, it did change um, the way they taught in high school. I don't know if every school is like this, but in my high school, um, it went from being you have to beat SNES because that's what the Torah said to you have to beat SNES because of men. And this, I mean, this is problematic on a lot of levels, but I'm, 
I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but like the way they, the, the phrases they used when they were talking about SNES and, and I'm really not exaggerating about these phrases. They said things like men look at you like you're a piece of meat. Or you don't want them to think about you when you're in, when they're in bed. Or you don't want to be the reason a boy has to spend the rest of his life on a spiritual treadmill. And literally, I, I'm 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 not I'm not making this stuff up. Or if you cause a man to be nichshal, you share his avera. Or maybe all you want to do is talk, but he's undressing you in his head. And this is like this. These aside from being very crude language. Um, it's a it's a really awful thing to be teaching young teenage girls. I mean, I, I don't want my daughter to be taught such disgusting thing about men. You know, she's she has a wonderful, respectful father. Her brothers are respectful, good boys, and there's no reason to teach that men are sick and that she's responsible for their thoughts. And it's it's unhealthy. And these girls have to grow up and get married to men. So why are we training them about how evil men are? So, so we're, we're leaving a terribly bad taste as it, opposed to, as it applies to the opposite gender. Yeah. And I, I think it's an exaggeration. Obviously, you know, men have a yitzhahara that women don't understand, but I don't think this should be taught to 13, 14 year old girls in, in this format. Right. So, so when it comes to the chinuch, was there anything inspirational about Snias, anything educational in a positive manner? Um, so, you know, I mean, there were many, there were many teachers who, who were, who really personified Snias and they were very, um, they were, you could see like they, they really, they, it was important to them and they ingrained it in their lives. And they were also very dynamic, interesting teachers, interesting people. And, I guess they were they were role models of you can be a uh, um, a an interesting, thoughtful, accomplished, smart person, and yet still still be tzniyas. I think there were there were individual teachers who did who did teach it as this is about respect for yourself. This is about doing a mitzvah. This is about doing what Hashem wants. There were teachers that were that gave that message, but the overall tone was was a negative tone. It was, it was more about don't cause other people to sin. Another thing that we, that we were taught was that CS was not just about our dress, but it was also about how we act. So this is very true. And it's, I agree with this concept, but it should be very clear, especially to young girls that it's not about giving up our identity or our opinions or being accomplished or being outgoing. You still can have a strong personality, but we were taught to be idle and sweet and unassuming and strong personalities were almost discouraged. Um, and I don't think that that message is what should be given over. I think that, that you can be a, a, a person with opinions and be opinionated and, and smart and still also be a Sanua person. And you could be an individual and keep your personality and your strengths and your gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you. Of course, of course. And the problem is, is that many girls internalize that this is anti tzniyas and this is anti what they're supposed to be doing. And they, they become very inhibited and closed and quiet. And that's, that's not the goal.
Right, I agree with that. Now, now, aside from dress and more the suppression of the personality, what other, other things did the rules prohibit or require? Um, so there were a lot of there were a lot of rules, I, I think, that were put in place to I really think it was just about keeping girls away from boys, which um, I agree, they shouldn't be hanging out together, they shouldn't be mixing. But at a certain point, it it takes things too far and girls can't have any fun. I mean, they, they weren't allowed to work away from home, we weren't allowed to go on trips together. I mean, and older teenagers, they they want to do things together. They want to go out with their friends and have fun. Um, we weren't allowed to go out for pizza on um, Friday or Maitre Shabbos. We weren't allowed, we weren't even allowed to go to the library on Friday afternoon because certain libraries were considered hangouts. We weren't allowed to go to Miami Beach, even with our families. We weren't allowed to walk down Avenue J on Friday or Maitre Shabbos. There, they, they just, any, anywhere that, could possibly be even close to like a hangout or uh, where where um, yeshiva boys would be, that was banned. Instead of kind of working with the fact that teenage girls want to go out with their friends and they're not necessarily doing bad things. They just, they're, they're girls and they're, they like to have fun and they want to do things with their friends. Everything was kind of banned and closed off. I remember in 12th grade, our principal told us that if we're ever getting out of a car, we should be aware that it's a breach, that it could be a breach of sneers and that our skirt might ride up. So she said, she said we should get an extra large pocketbook um, and use it as a shield when we got out of the car so that we can cover our knees. But that was an interesting rule to come up with. Um, it wasn't a rule. It was a suggestion. A, a friend of mine um, in high school, I remember that she had very curly red hair. And uh, the principal deemed that um, not Sanua. So she told her that um, she should get it straightened. And uh, that when I was in high school, like it was a big thing, something it was called Japanese straightening and everyone was walking around with stick straight hair. So apparently she stuck out because she kept her hair natural. So she was told to get her hair straightened, which is kind of ridiculous because that's how Hashem created her. So that that could give somebody a complex. Um, So so talk to me about the violations. What were you or your friends called out for? And uh, then I'm going to want to find out what the consequences, the consequences of violating the dress code were. So let's start with what were the violations? Like uh, some of the big ones, some of the ones that really stick out in your mind, even even a few years later. So really, whenever somebody mentions Sneas in high school, the first story that comes to my mind, which really, really had an impact on me was in 10th grade in high school. Um, I was living in a very um, unhappy, abusive house. Um, and I had developed a minor d- eating disorder. Um, and I, I really had a whole lot of stuff going on at home. Um, and a friend, of a, a friend of mine and we and I went to a Lagba Omar party. Um, it was, it was a bonfire. It was really, it was nothing, you know, it, we were really weren't doing anything inappropriate or, um, problematic. I was wearing a baggy sweatshirt and a denim skirt, and it had a slit that was around my knee. Um, so 
and I was wearing sneakers and short socks. So it really, I agree, it wasn't the best look, but I was 15. So, you know, really wasn't the end of the world either. And my male principal was walking by, of course, he had walked by exactly at that time. And he saw my friend, and he saw me, and he was horrified by how we were dressed. And he was also really upset that we were at the bonfire without adults. And he told us to leave. Then the next day, he called us in separately to his office, and he pulled out a sefer uh, from the Chafetz Chaim, I believe it was, um, and he read me this whole long essay about the fires of hell and described them in detail. And he actually, this he said, he said this word for word: "There's a place in hell for girls who dress like you." Yeah, ouch. ouch. <laughs> Very ouch. <laughs> And honestly, I know that's not true. Hashem, unlike my principal, knows the whole story, knows what I was going through, and would never send a suffering 15-year-old girl to hell because of a slit in her skirt or a short sock. I I mean, I I believe he's a lot more understanding. Yes, you have to follow the Torah. Yes, you have to do the right thing. Um, But there is nuance and there is gray areas. And I I highly doubt I'm going to hell for that. Yeah, yeah. So, so t- talk to us more about uh, other violations, other enforcement that happened in high school. Let's see what other violations. Um, this happened to my friend. Um, she was walking down the street with her older brother, and someone, I guess, saw her and told the principal. And the next day, the principal grabbed her and pulled her aside and demanded to know who her boyfriend was. Um, and she said it was her brother. And uh, we don't know if the principal believed her. She didn't get in trouble for it. But it brings up another point that we were we were almost encouraged to tattle on each other in high school for infractions such as sneeze or rule breaking, going to hangouts, talking to boys. And it, it really interfered with our friendships and our ability to to connect with other girls because we were always suspicious and we were always tense. And, you know, there, I remember so many discussions with other girls where we were, someone was like, don't, you know, be careful around her. She tells, she, she'll talk, she's very close to the principal or she'll tell the principal X, Y, and Z, or, you know, she'll, she'll whatever. And I mean, that first of all, that poor girl, I don't know if it's true or not true, but everyone probably disliked her because it was a rumor that she told she was a tattletale. And it just, it, it, it was a chaval because then we didn't, we didn't, become friends with girls who weren't exactly like us because we were afraid that they were going to rat us out to the principal. So always worried about getting stabbed in the back. Exactly. And teenage girls are notorious for stabbing each other in the back. So we didn't need extra encouragement. Right, right. So, so we have enforcement going on. We have uh, people being called out in public. We have uh, principals not believing that it's really my brother. It's not my boyfriend. If you got caught, what were the consequences of uh, a violation of the dress code? So this wasn't my school. This was actually my sister's school that when they were caught um, violating the SNES guidelines, they would get points off their GPA. Points off your grades, points off your GPA for violating a, a, a SNES penal code. I mean, I guess it's a penal code. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you were an A student, if you were not always snistic, you became a B student. So, <laughs> so I'm not sure what the two have to do with each other, but 
that's what happened. Um, I remember my sister was very upset about it. And I remember in my school, um, our, our female principal used to come up and she would get into our personal space and she would physically close our tzniest buttons if they were open. And she, she didn't ask permission to touch us. She would just come right up, get into our face and close our buttons. I mean, aside from this being an invasion of privacy, I don't know if we want to be teaching girls that it's okay to let someone touch touch them without permission and invade their space. I mean, it's not very, a very healthy message. No. no. Um, you can get sued for that. Having been through all this, it sounds like there's a, a recurring theme here through starting from sixth grade through high school and seminary. Looking back at it, looking at your friends, how would you say it impacted you, all these rules and the enforcement and misenforcement? You, your friends, does it impact different people in different ways? Give us a little bit flavor of uh, the consequences or non-consequences as uh, you know, a few years later. I think everybody takes things differently. You have extreme reactions where some girls internalize everything and they think that that's the correct hashkafa. And then you have others who reject it completely and go off the derech. Although I'm sure that there were other factors uh, as to why they went off the derech. I'm, I, 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 I'm sure Tznias is a very big factor in that. And it's always, you know, if I talk to someone from high school who's no longer from that is one of the first things they mention. And then you have a whole bunch of people who are in the middle. They have various reactions to to SNES and the enforcement. I could tell you that I personally, I'm at a point where I could say that it's their problem. Uh, it's not my problem. And that's not real Torah. And that's not true Torah that Hashem wants us to be following. But but it's, I, I, I'll be honest, like I'm still very reluctant to send my own daughter to Besiako because I don't want her to go through all that. And I don't want her to internalize that and learn such negative, problematic messages. Right now where I live, Beis Yaakov is the only option. So I'm hopeful that any negative messages that they get can be counteracted with a positive message from the house. A lot of a lot of my friends and classmates have an aversion to anything SNES related. So you mention the word SNES and it triggers like a shut off. And it's not even voluntary. It's 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 almost like a coping mechanism with having had SNES forced down our throats from a very young age. Um, and, and it's ironic because all these negative rules probably had a reverse impact. And some of us are less Sanua now than we would have been had we been taught properly. That, that is a very powerful message, a very powerful message. Now, now you, you mentioned the one option that you have where you live is Beis Yaakov, and uh, obviously then you'll be sending your girls to Beis Yaakov. And for all the listeners, the female listeners, the girls who are out there going through the system, uh, and, and this is just uh, like the final question that I, that I have for you, um, how would you advise them to handle it when they are on the receiving end of the education the uh, if it's an unfortunate education, if it's not a positive education, and on the receiving end of enforcement, how should they be handling this? That's a really tough question. Um, it's ha- it's hard to say. I guess it would depend on who is telling them off and what kind of personality the girl has. I, I could tell you that my reaction has always been indifference. I would sit there, stone faced, let them say their piece, then roll my eyes and move on. My sister's reaction was the complete opposite. She would respond in kind when she was being called out. You know, she would fight with them. 
I, I don't, I don't know which reaction is better, but um, some girls would react by crying. Some would argue back. And none of these are particularly helpful to the girl and doesn't send a message to the teacher to change her style of enforcement. I think the best way to react is with respectful disagreement. Uh, but this takes a lot of maturity and self-control, which is not something most teenagers possess a lot of. I guess, for example, um, if a teacher physically closes your sneeze button, the best response would be, please respect my personal space and ask permission before touching me. Or if a teacher singles out a girl in class, to use it as an example, um, maybe she could say, I don't feel comfortable with this conversation. Please don't use me as a public example. Right. That's well said. That's well said. Right. The problem is, is that as a woman in my 30s, I could say that. But a teenager is much more shy, not as 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 capable of coming up with a response like that on the spot. Right. That's for um, sure. And, and I think really the change has to come from the educator's side, not with the students' reactions. They're the, they're the teachers, they're the adults, and they need to do an overhaul on how they approach SNES for from Beis Yaakov girls. You know, and, and the community, the firm community made great strides in so many different things with mental health and calling out abuse. And maybe it's time to reexamine how we learn SNES and how we enforce SNES. And maybe it could be taught from a place of positivity and how can you elevate yourself rather than negativity and enforcement and that you're doing this because of men. Um, and then girls will have a better attitude about SNES and they'll want to do it for the sake of the mitzvah and for the sake of themselves rather than because it was forced on them. Right. That was very well said. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us. It's not easy to have this conversation, bringing back those memories and uh, speaking to such a large audience about what was obviously a, a difficult, uh, difficult scenarios and diff difficult incidents to have gone through. So we uh, really appreciate your time, insights and, uh, and everything that you've shared with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Joining us now is Mrs. Elisheva Liss. Mrs. Liss is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the New York area. She actually uh, focuses on a number of interesting issues and areas, but in particular, she deals a lot with SNEAS issues, SNEAS issues of individual women and SNEAS issues between a woman and her husband. And uh, as we will discuss today, unfortunately, there is uh, some PTSD. We'll find out as much. And she'll define that for us uh, as a result of the education that some of the girls receive through their chinuch, uh, going through the system. And unfortunately, it also does negatively impact marriages and intimacy. So Mirza uh, Shem, we will be talking about these issues. And uh, hopefully we will also be able to hear about areas we can improve and work on. Mrs. Liss, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Mrs. Liss, if we could start out with a definition, because uh, not only all of us know exactly what PTSD is. So what is PTSD and how can it relate to SNEAS and uh, the difficult education that some may receive? How can that impact and bring up a uh, PTSD? Yeah. When you first emailed me and said you wanted to speak about SNEAS PTSD, the, the clinician in me bristled a little bit at the idea of applying the term PTSD to people who are unhappy with their SNEAS education because uh, you know PTSD is a very 
um, very real and very raw disorder. It stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, and it is a cluster of different symptoms and responses that people will experience who've been through trauma. Um, and trauma is a big deal. And um, there's debate about whether there's something called small T trauma, little T trauma, big T trauma, meaning large, acute, uh, or complex trauma, ongoing, very serious, severe, uh, and horrific events versus small T trauma, you know, little things that happen but affect people in a big way that reverberate with PTSD kind of symptoms, nightmares and flashbacks and shakes and, uh, and panic attacks. I feel you know, a lot of uh, crying at unwanted times, you know, sort of like dysregulated emotional response to triggers. Um, you know, we could talk for a couple hours on what PTSD is, but I think by now most of the world understands that it's a very strong response to a, uh, you know, an unfavorable life experience. And um, so at first I was like, mm, do I want to, do I want to call it PTSD? Is that disrespectful to people who are suffering from, uh, you know, from PTSD, from more typical traumas? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized I don't think it's hyperbole. I don't think it's an exaggeration because um, so much of what we hear from young women and, and men, by the way, I think that, you know, we're, today we're here to talk about women's disease, but I don't want to uh, mitigate the fact that I think there's a certain draconian way that that happens for men that also, you know, kind of leaves scars. But I think it results in instances that are true PTSD. Um, just yesterday, I was reading the account of one of the victims or survivors of the Chaim Walder um, uh, uh, disaster. And um, she was describing, and in a very eloquent and heart-wrenching way, attributing a lot of how long the abuse and the rape, it was a real rape that she went through, went on for her, a big part of why she didn't feel safe to report it even to her own parents was because of the Tznias messaging that she had around, you know, not having the vocabulary, not feeling like it's appropriate to talk about these things, not questioning Rabbanim specifically, you know, in areas where, you know, she perceived it to be halacha. And so she was subject to real acute, horrific trauma for years, whereas, you know, better education would have helped her be able to report sooner and, uh, you know, and, and not have as much of that. So, you know, that's a very extreme example, but it's, it's, it's extreme. It's not uncommon. When it comes to the SNES PTSD, yeah. or something close, it doesn't have to be the clinical PTSD, but something, the, 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 a, a trauma that results from something from the, the education nowadays, how common would you say that it does leave negative marks, we'll say, on, on, on the girls after going through the system? So I think it's pretty common. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about numbers because like I said before, you know, the numbers are not always indicative of what's really going on. So in both directions, by the way, you know, sometimes you hear one story in surround sound and it makes it feel like it's happening to everyone everywhere. And it's really, you know, pretty unusual of a case of whatever we're talking about. And sometimes you hear a story and it sounds unusual, but actually people then start coming out of the word, woodworks and saying, you know, me too. Uh, but, I, but I do think it's pretty common. I have, um, uh, we, the first time you and I had to discuss the possibility of doing this, we had talked about doing a little bit of a survey. So I surveyed um, the audience that I have on one of my social media platforms, the one that's my most engaged audience is, is my Instagram. Um, and so I, I put out some questions about people's experience with, um, with SNES education and a very, very significant percentage, I would guess probably even the majority of the people on this platform for, for me, like in my, uh, you know, my little piece of it, are, um, are, are Orthodox women. And I got so many responses. I think more responses to that than anything else I've ever asked about. People were so anxious to talk about this. And, and I, what's the question that you posed? I'm trying to remember. I think I posted it in a few different segments. You know, what are, you know, what kinds of messaging did you get around modesty? Um, I also asked what kinds of messaging did you receive and education did you receive around sexuality? Um, whether it was, and I think I, I, I think I broke it down into like what, 
what was helpful for you, what was inspiring for you, what was useful for you to hear, and what was you know unhelpful and uninspiring and not useful for you to hear. Um, under you know, uh, predictably, I got a lot more feedback about the negative because you know people do have a you know the human mind does have a negativity bias and people want to you know have an opportunity to use their voice in a relatively anonymous way. Um, you know, when they're talking about their pain, um, you know, so that is true. And also, I think you know, unfortunately, there is a lot more you know pain and frustration around this than there is um, you know inspiration. But again, I, I can't say that for sure. You know, there's a lot of people who will say, well, no, it's just the unhappy people that make more noise. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But there's a lot of unhappy people and they're making a lot of noise and we need to take notice of this. <laughs> and and there are also a lot of happy people who, when you give them the opportunity to talk about it, will say like, well, yeah, I'm happy because I I figured things out for myself. Like I sought out alternate role models and messages and Sfarim and Shirim that like worked for me. But like, there was also a lot of that other stuff that I had to work through that that didn't work for me. Um, you know, and so that's why I like to stay away from what we call, you know, quantitative analysis, like the numbers and look at more qualitative analysis, like what are actual human beings saying repetitively, you know, like what are we hearing again and again? So, um, you know, we had discussed, maybe I'll share some of the answers that I got with you. Yes, yeah, sure. Should we, do that, should we do that right now? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that, that'd be helpful. And, and, and under that, it'd be helpful if you can shed some light on what we're seeing out there in the educational system, what, what's working, what's not working. And obviously we'll be hearing now about ways that we can improve. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So let's start with the, uh, let's start with the responses because I think that will help inform some of the other answers to the questions that you just asked. Um, and what I've done here is everything that I'm going to read to you was verbatim, but, but what I did was I went through like a few, you know, dozens, maybe even hundreds, but definitely dozens and dozens of responses. And I tried to amalgamate, you know, pick the ones that were like the most clear version of what I was hearing again and again. So if I got like an outlier answer, I didn't include it here. Okay. So people wrote, we were taught that men are pigs and they can't control control themselves. So our job is to enforce Tzniyas, Shomer Nagiyah, and Yichud for our own protection. Um, next answer. We All we learned was that we should cover up and hide our bodies, nothing about understanding them or what to do after we get married. We learned so much modesty and what not to do, but nothing about positive sexuality. That that issue came up again and again, and it's what I see a lot of in my practice. Um, people who feel like I got, you know, 20 years of intensive Tzniyas education, and then I was supposed to like completely flip it around o- literally overnight after getting married. That was really, really difficult for couples. Um, and it's, it's something that we deal with ongoingly. That, that makes sense. You hear, uh, you hear, don't, 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 don't. And then don't touch, don't think, don't want, don't feel right. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, well, I mean, I guess you'll hear more of what people actually say. Sneas is there so that we're not a temptation for men. Um, what frustrated me the most was educators embarrassing people and calling them out in front of others. That was a big one. Um, it's not only just about the what, but the how, the, the, the humiliation piece. Um, I was taught if a boy looks at you once, he goes to Gehenna. If he looks at you twice, then you go with him. Um, your tzniyas is measured by communal rules that are always changing and hard to keep up with. That was a big one. People said there was like a lot of, uh, uncl- like a lack of clarity and ambiguity about what the rules are. Women are in charge of where men's minds go. You will burn in hell if a man sins because of how you look. Um, it's all about men's sexuality. Women are naturally pure and chaste. That's not my experience. Sexuality is bad, but men can't control themselves. So it's women's job to make a darn for their bodies. It's my fault if a man has impure thoughts about me. I recognize that some of these are repetitive, but I think that that's important because the story is repetitive. The thi- oh, this, okay. So this was a, I don't know if it's like a real thing, a medrash or something. I've never seen a real source for it, but I've heard it from a few different women. I was never taught this growing up, but um, that apparently there's some sort of a medrash or I hope fake medrash about um, 
that there's somebody saw a, a woman boiling water and putting it on a younger woman's body and, and they're both screaming. And the explanation is this is a mother who's being punished and a daughter that are being punished that the mother didn't teach her daughter to cover up her body enough. And that's ongoing in, in Gehenna. And this is something that has been taught to children. Did you ever hear anything about that? I think we can uh, ask that Sibor, uh, I, I hate in this kind of, it's, 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 it sounds uh, highly unpleasant, but if people can send in any Makoris they have exactly on point, not stretches, uh, not stretches and extrapolations, but if anyone has a Makor for that, Precise. if you send it in, into headlines, we'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that, like, I, look, I, I hope there's not a Makor for it, but even if there is, there's some pretty... Um, intensive, like Midrashim, Gemara, Zohars, that I think, look, we're always cherry picking what we do in Chinuch and, you know, teaching little children things like that, that are so horrific, you know, they're psukim in, you know, in, in the Tochacha, in the, you know, in the Klalas and Echa that, you know, you're just not going to teach little kids because, you know, we want to inculcate, you know, a sense of Ahabas Hashem and safety and, and uh, you know, whatever, anyway, <laughs> even if it is... Yeah, it has, okay. to be, it has to be age appropriate and it has to be in the context. And if context, the- context is so important. Yeah, yeah. Um, somebody, I got this a few times. I got in huge trouble for in school for wearing nail polish. One person wrote, wrote, I was six years old, meaning like a six year old is not in charge of what goes on their nails. That's a parent, you know. Um, I got zero chinuch about what to do if someone touches me inappropriately. Um, I get so upset when rabbis lecture men about their wives needing to be more modest. I got the feeling that women's dirties are dirty slash bad, shameful, ugly. Um, It really created negative body image. We literally had a class in high school called the danger of boys 101. (laughs) She didn't say whether, and I've I've heard a few versions of that. And I remember in like high school and seminary, like there were, you know, sort of like rabbis that were known for giving like the schmooze about like what, what guys really want when they're trying to be friends with you or ask you out. I got the idea that only men have desires and urges. There's something wrong with me that I do. Um, the parts of your body that are exposed will burn in Gehenna forever. The body is a busha. My whole job is not to be a mechshol for men. Um, if a man touches you, it's because of how you looked, even if you say no. We are responsible for men's temptation and choices. It was so scary to go from sinus to getting married overnight, and I'm still not okay from that. Uh, my college classes were mostly about what is not allowed. It was so limiting and upsetting for both of us. Feeling attractive is not a Jewish value. Uh, thinking inappropriate thoughts as a teenager creates tuma that taints my chuppah and my marriage. I was afraid to go to a gynecologist because the idea of being exposed in any way felt so wrong. I had infections that didn't get treated for a long time because I was embarrassed to ask for help. Um, a woman should dress like a rectangle, no curves or shapes visible. We, I've heard that one. <laughs> I wasn't taught it, but I've heard people like say it. Um, we all knew that girls were kicked out of seminaries for experimenting with each other, but we were confused. Uh, we were never taught why or what's wrong with that. Uh, by the time I got married, I had successfully suppressed any desire at all, and it was really hard for me to be with my husband. Um, Artsnia's classes made me nervous around men or scared of men. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're kind or spiritual or if you dive in with Kavana. If the adults don't like your Tzniyas, then you're a bad Jew. Um, even after I got married, I felt like I just needed to be there for my husband so he wouldn't sin. Not, it's, it's not about mutual intimacy and pleasure, just about me being responsible for him not watching, thinking, or doing inappropriate things. There's a name for that. It's called mate guarding. Um, I was taught that covering up would protect me from abuse by men, but it didn't. Um, I wish we'd been taught about boundaries and consent so that I could say no, even if a man is older or very from. Um, I wish we had been taught more about embracing and expressing our femininity. So you can hear from these from these answers um, why I don't think it's a stretch to say that there's PTSD when when Tineas is either you know it, it is taught you know in in ways that are uh, unhealthy. No, why uh, one thread that went through almost all of those is negativity. Oh, for sure. 
And I'm wondering why do you think the schools are teaching in such an extreme way the requirements and from such a, a negative perspective as opposed to SNES, which should be something that's so positive? You know, I, I think it's it's a really good question. First of all, I wanted to say that I was I grouped the answers. Those were the negative answers, meaning I do have a list of some positive messages that I got from women in the same survey. So I, do you want me to read them now or... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that'll, that'll temper my question, hopefully. Yes, yes, yes. So some of the, some of the responses that I got about positive messaging that people felt that they learned was modesty is more than just about clothing. It's about language and behavior. Um, Tineas is a process. There's not only one right way to do it and it's not all or nothing. Tineas is a form of self-respect and respect for each other. There's a time and a place for sexuality and marriage is holy and beautiful. Um, I loved it when I saw healthy, modest, happy teachers. It was inspiring and made me want to emulate. And I feel like that one is so important. I'm, this is me, Ali Shabbat speaking now. Um, I, I, I feel like that is something that's very underrated, that it's not just the what we're learning, but it's also the how we're learning and from whom we're learning. There's a phrase, I don't know who's, who says this quote, but I love it. Um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And um, when, when we're teaching children and students about any area of observance or halacha, but particularly when we're talking about ones that are more difficult or more sensitive or more personal, right? It's going to be much more well-received if there's context and there's nuance and there's a sense of like, this is coming from someone who really cares about me and respects me. And it, their their care and respect for me is not conditional to whether I conform to exactly what they tell me to do. Um, so, um, you know, and, and also like a, you know, do as I say, not as I do, you know, kind of thing. Like, you know, I think she said, I, I, it wasn't that what the teachers were saying, it was what they were being. Like, if you're being a healthy, happy, role model-y kind of person, then it makes people. I remember when I was in high school that a lot of us and, and post high school, a lot of us, you know, taking on areas in SNES, it wasn't specifically about a source that you learned. You know, there's not a lot of primary sources about the details and minutia with regard to halachas of SNES. It was more about, wow, you know, the women that I find myself looking up to and gravitating towards and learning from, this is kind of how they look. And people kind of subconsciously end up emulating the people that they admire and respect. I think that's a big piece of it. Um, somebody else wrote here, and I've included. Yes. It's, it's the role models and, and uh, yeah. the negativity, negativity often comes from people who are role models of, of negativity. And, exactly. Uh, and, and that's why the enforcement, you mentioned something about it, the enforcement uh, coming from a uh, really a hostile perspective. I think that is really what, what has, I always say it's, it's, not, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And yeah. it's coming from uh, negativity and uh, demanding requirements, it's going to be received negatively. And if it comes from a warm, caring place, then it's going to have a different impact. Yeah, I also have a, a, a theory as a, as a, a, a parent and a professional, which I, I think a lot of people might disagree with this, and that's fine. But that when it comes to young children, you know, preschool and early elementary age children, I don't actually think it's helpful to do a whole lot of SNES education. I think that for little kids, they're going to wear the clothing that their parents buy for them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of SNES education in the great and like for what SNES actually means, like teach your kids not to show off or make other people feel bad for what you have and they don't have like, you know, that that kind of SNES, I think it's wonderful to teach children just be a medostic, respectful, sensitive human. Um, but in terms of like how to dress, I, I always used to say like snakes for little kids is like dental hygiene. You don't give kids muster schmoozes about brushing their teeth. You just brush their teeth, but you just teach them to brush their teeth. It's like the more, sometimes less is more, you know, like, um, you know, and I think the obsession is what creates such an inversion for a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, kids and teenagers. Um, two more nice ones, and then we'll move on to the other questions. I, I, I included this one as a positive because the, the way the person shared it was positive. And a couple of people said this. My rough says it's not sneeze for a man to teach women 
women about Tineas, meaning she felt validated by her rub saying like, it's, it's unsanua for men to be like commenting on women's Tineas. And we'll get to that too. A huge trauma from a lot of people. I don't know why I didn't add it to the list because a bunch of people mentioned it. Um, was they felt really violated when their male teachers or principals would comment on their tzinius. It felt hypocritical, it felt paradoxical, and it felt demeaning. Why are you looking? Sorry? Why are you looking? Oh, why are the men looking? Right, right, exactly. Like, (laughs) right, there's, right. I remember once, um, a bunch of years ago, there was a nonprofit organization that asked me to give a talk on intimacy and sexuality. It was a talk for women. And they, you know, I I gave them an adjusted nonprofit rate. And there was like a lot of back and forth about working, you know, working together. And then finally, like three days before the the talk, I got a call or got a message from one of the the women who organized it saying, okay, Rabbi so-and-so is going to call you to go through your curriculum um, and make sure he's comfortable with it. And I wrote back, I'm not comfortable with that. Um, And she said, well, you know, he's the, uh, not the postake, but I guess the mashkiach of our organization. I think he was the postake too, but like, you know, of our organization. And, you know, he's only comfortable letting you give the talk if he goes through the material with you. I said, well, you should have led with that because <laughs> um, uh, she, she says, he said, you know, I have to make sure it's senua. I said, there's nothing in the talk that's, that's less senua than me going through the talk with your rabbi. <laughs> um, and in the end, they canceled the talk because I refused to go through it with this rabbi. Um, and, you know, everybody's got to stand by their own integrity. But, you know, I guess we were each defining our tzinius in different ways in terms of that right. uh, situation. But, you know, heads up, if you're part of a nonprofit, do your homework first before <laughs> wasting people's time. Okay. Um, and the last one, I thought this one was a really nice, you know, uh, frame as our bodies are holy and precious and we cover them for dignity and to be able to focus on who we are as people. Mm. Um, you know, I thought that was a really nice one. So, uh, you know. That is very nice. So, so let, yeah. let, let's get to the question. Why yeah. are so many schools coming from this, from the extreme and the negative as opposed to the positive? Because we obviously have to flip that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, in general, I think there has been a move in terms of parenting and education to try to move towards more gentle, respectful, collaborative, uh, you know, teaching. Um, you know, I, I think about there's like a Rashi that comes up a bunch of times in the Chumash where it says, you know, Vayikach a person or, or Kach es a person. And Rashi always says, Kachehu bidvarim, take him with words. And I remember learning like years ago, but it really stuck with me. I think it was a Gurari Maharal um, that uh, if you take a person at gunpoint or you tie them up in chains and you take them, you're not really taking them, you're taking their body. Um, but if you if you take a person by having a dialogue with them and sort of educating them and showing them a new way to think, and they say, oh yeah, that's a good point. That That's kachehu um, And I think that is sort of like the new age. I mean, I think that's always been like the Torah perspective and model, but I think in terms of like the world at large, there had always been like this like enforcement, you know, like the show dream rather than the show team, you know, like, you know, do this or else you're going to be in trouble, right? <laughs> Um, but, you know, in, in educational psychology, there's sort of a movement away from that top-down power-based rule enforcement and also away from what people call uh, extrinsic motivation, you know, like the carrots and the sticks, you know, like you do the right thing, you'll get rewarded, you do the wrong thing, you'll get beat up. Instead, it's about, you know, kind of sharing ideas and values and rationales. Um, in my book, I talk about, you know, four, the four eyes of instruction, intimidation, indoctrination, um, information and inspiration. Right. So indoctrination and intimidation are telling people what to think, what to feel, um, what's going to happen to them if they don't conform, you know, like the scary stuff and information and inspiration are teaching them like, well, here's what the sources have to say. And, um, you know, here's here's a really interesting story that illustrates that. Um, And inspiration is just kind of like being the kind of person that shows how living within your values feels good and feels right and and is moral and is good for society. Um, So I think we're trying to move away from intimidation and indoctrination and more towards, you know, sharing information and inspiration. But of course, it's a process and it's imperfect and it's not linear. Right. Um, right. You know. 
So, and also you also, you get, you need immediate results. At least you feel you need immediate results. So when you demand it, you're going to get immediate results. When you threaten punishment, you're going to get immediate results as opposed to the more uh, longer term approach of collaboration. You're not going to necessarily see immediate that. Yes. And I would also add that there are certain what I call tolerable offenses and intolerable offenses, right? So if you work in a school and you see, see, you know, a kid beating up another kid, that's intolerable. You need to jump immediately and say no violence allowed in the school, right? When you see, um, you know, when you see a kid turning in their homework late, you need to address it, but it's a tolerable offense, right? A kid can lead a long and happy life and be someone who's chronically late at turning in homework, right? It's not something that rips apart the fabric of society for the most part, right? And I think the way that we engage, even with when we need immediate responses. So let's say a kid brings a peanut butter sandwich into a school where there are kids that are anaphylactically allergic to nuts, right? So there you need to do an immediate, you know, uh, you know, intervention, but it, it, there's a difference between saying, how could you do that? Are you trying to murder your friends, right? Like a shaming and humiliation of the kid with the peanut butter sandwich. Or you just say, hey, sweetheart, um, I, I see you brought a peanut butter sandwich to school. Peanut butter is actually really healthy and good for you, but it's actually kind of dangerous for some of the other kids. So come over, you know, give me the peanut butter sandwich. We're going to have to toss it or we'll put it in the fridge. You can take it home later. And someone's going to go and get, get you, a, you know, a bagel and tuna. So that way you'll have something else to eat for lunch, right? So sometimes you can do the intervention in a way that preserves the dignity of the person. It doesn't make them feel like they're wrong or they're bad or they're evil, but says, you know what, over here, we're doing differently. Right. I I hear that. I hear that for sure. It would be so nice. And by the way, you know, I I have to say, like, I went to a high school um, where it was, you know, a from high school, but like, if you weren't dressed, we didn't really have a uniform, but there was a dress code. And um, if you weren't wearing something that fit the dress code, and again, if you went to the same high school as me and you had a different experience, then I'm not here to, you know, negate your experience. But the experience that I had was that I think most of the teachers would just sort of come up to you and say, um, you know, quietly, hey, sweetie, that's that's not the dress code, but we have extra, you know, skirts or shirts in in the office, come and I'll I'll give you one, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as the peanut butter sandwich. It's just like, oh, you know, hey, this isn't what we're supposed to do, but no problem. We can help you out, you know. <laughs> and you get the results. You get the results. So let's talk about the, yeah. the SNES PTSD. Yeah. What, what are the consequences on an individual's re- relationship with, we'll say, herself, with a Kaddish Baruch Hu, with, with Yiddishkeit? What, what are the manifestations of the, of the trauma that the person goes through? Okay, so... I, I want to just say, because I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be thinking this, I didn't have any problem with it. Right. So some people didn't have any problem with it. So let's just get that out there. It's fine. Some people didn't have any problem with it. That's good. But for the people who did. <laughs> so there's, I think, I, I guess we could maybe group it into three like categories. There's neurosis, aversion, and perpetuation. So the neurosis is when people, individuals or schools or communities or families develop almost like an OCD kind of thinking about it. It just becomes this like obsession. Um, and uh, and it's, it, it's just too much. It's like too much thinking and scrutinizing and worrying and examining. And it just becomes like too much. And that's a lot of what I see um, uh, in, in, in my clients who have, you know, poor relationship with their bodies, uh, poor relationships towards intimacy and sexuality, you know, where they've like over internalized a hyper, uh, a hypertenuous model that doesn't leave space for just being, you know, kind of healthy and feminine and, uh, you know, a sexual being. Um, so that's a neurosis. Then there's aversion. Aversion is like the gross out, like the ew, gross, icky kind of feeling. So, so for example, like either about SNES itself or, uh, well, I guess about sexuality would be a, would be an outgrowth of, of the neurosis. So for example, I remember once I was um, talking, there was a, used to talk in different seminaries and there was this one seminary they used to talk in and I was in the uh, copy room making copies of a, a Makoro sheet and there was somebody had been photocopying notes from a rabbi's class before 
And she had written down, like, you know, some, you, sometimes you can tell the girls wrote exactly what the rabbi said. <laughs> and he said, some, she wrote in, in his quotes, like, there's nothing more disgusting than a, a women's exposed knee. I remember thinking, like, that's a weird thing to, like, have in the notes. And then a couple of years later, it came out that this rabbi was sort of, like, disbarred by the other rabbis as being someone who was behaving sexually inappropriately. And, you know, I'm very weary of putting two and two together and getting 12, but it wasn't shocking to me on the basis of, like, that that's what he was teaching 18-year-old girls. Um, you know, so that aversion, the ick factor, you know, again, about SNES, either, like, I can't even hear the word. It's like too upsetting to them. Um, and, and either they are keeping the halachos anyway, but they're keeping them with, with negative feelings about them, or they're not keeping them. Um, and then there's the perpetuation, right? Like this, it just keeps, you know, like there's this analogy that people use about, you know, frogs being boiled alive. And like the more, like if you kind of like boil them slowly, they're not going to jump out of the pot, which apparently is not scientifically true. They will jump out of the pot. Um, but <laughs> uh, but this is just sort of like the, the fable that they use. Um, and I, I think there's sort of like, you know, you had asked earlier, you said, you know, why are schools so strict? Why are they so, you know, intense and rigid about their rules? I, I think that, you know, there's almost like an institutional ego or a competition of like needing to be as firm as the next school. Like I remember in my neighborhood, there was like a bas mitzvah war. Like one school said, okay, you can only have bas mitzvahs in this and this format. And the next school is like, no, you can only have bas mitzvahs in your backyard. And the other one's like, you're not allowed to have bas mitzvahs at all. And next one's like, you're not even allowed to turn 12. You have to go straight from 11 to 13. No, I'm kidding. I'm obviously, you know, exaggerating, but, um, you know, it just kind of felt like, like there, there's just like this insecurity, um, you know, and, and another piece I think is shidduchim. You know, I think that people have this like fear, like when you get to shidduchim, you have to be able to say the right things about, you know, where you went and what you did. Um, and, you know, I, I think it just kind of like take, takes on, and I don't think any one individual is responsible for this problem. I think it's just kind of like snowballed and taken on a life. Itself. Right. I, I think that another piece of the chinuch that's a very, uh, a, a really important piece in terms of like working towards healthier and improved messaging is that, you know, when there are too many rules and there's not enough distinction being made between the types of rules and the sources and the priorities and the level of difficulty of what, and what they are, you know, like halacha and chamra and minagamakom and machlokas and, um, then then they all get sort of like equally intense status and it sort of devalues all of the rules including like the really important ones um i actually had forwarded you a blog post on that which if you want we can link to to the show notes um but i i think that part of the tikkun you know part of the repair and this is something that i feel very privileged that the chinuch in my home growing up and in the schools that I attended really did adhere to this was um, we were celebrated for asking for sources. You know, if, if a teacher said something like, oh, it's us to do this or you're chayiv to do that, or, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's not appropriate to do this. We would say, oh, is there, a, can, can you show me the source for that? And it wasn't considered being rebellious. It was like, oh, that's so great that you want to learn and know and understand. And I think that a lot of young people today are not only discouraged for, for asking questions like that, but, but actually made to feel like shame on you for not trusting what we're teaching you in a classroom. Um, and so then when the when the sources or not sources, when the rules that they're given become too onerous or it's contradictory or not, you know, making sense to them, they're just like, forget it. All of this is ridiculous. So I think a very big tikkun is being able to honor the fact that there are multiple, you know, opinions, perspectives, sources, and that some of the stuff doesn't have sources and it's just norms that were taken on. And those shouldn't be the same level of priority as actual, you know, Doraisas and Durabanans and, you know, and Minagamaka. And like, I, I think clarity is our friend when it comes to this. And I think, you know, in terms of teaching, the goal shouldn't be to make people do what we think they should do. The goal should be to educate so that people could utilize their Bechira to forge their own relationships with the Kaddish Baruch Hu themselves and Torah. And if it's taught correctly, they'll reach the correct conclusions from that. Most people, we hope. But again, like it's not, right? Like it's not our job to control other people, right? Well, Mrs. Liss, thank you so much for joining us. Very appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Joining us now is Mrs. Fran Berg. Mrs. Berg is a graduate of, of Beis Yaakov. Uh, she spent part of her time in Israel studying in Beis Yaakov, and then in the middle of high school, she moved to Brooklyn and continued in a Beis Yaakov in Brooklyn, and she's here to share her experiences with us. Mrs. Berg, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, thank you for having me. So uh, this is going to be very interesting for me because I'd love to hear about the, the distinctions that you saw between SNEAS in the United States and Israel because you moved halfway through from Israel to the United States. So if, if you can walk us through what are your memories, and you can start with Israel, what are your remember, memories of SNEAS requirements in school and how did they teach the importance of SNEAS and adhering to the laws of SNEAS? So um, the requirement was um, always on a piece of paper. You got all the rules, um, A, B, C, and um, there was no explanation why and how we should um, address this. We, even if we had questions, we were kind of afraid to ask because we weren't sure what they're going to think of us. It was much more strict in Israel than here in the United States. And I was actually hoping when I moved to Brooklyn that this is going to be my past. I'm not going to have to deal with this. But um, unfortunately, I did have to deal with it a little bit in Brooklyn as well. But compared to Israel, it was like, okay, this is like nothing. So I was like, okay, I'm happy that I only have to deal with so little. So, so walk us through some specifics in Israel. What were some of the requirements that were uh, a little bit unusual that you thought when you started? So basically, we had to, starting from the head, it was your hair has to be a certain length. Um, if it's, uh, I think it was either the chin or a little bit over, and then it has to be in a ponytail. Um, and then earrings cannot be hanging. Obviously, makeup was out of the question. Um, and then going to certain clothing that it didn't have to be always something that's not sneeze, but if it had a certain uh, color that was like really complimenting you and they would just say, this is just not, just not, not explaining what. Um, and um, we had to wear a certain type of um, backpack only on the shoulder, only on one shoulder, and um, it cannot be on both. We had certain um, length of skirts, and um, all these things were without any explanation. So when we walked out of the house, um, I made sure, and I'm sure other girls as well, they wore their backpack on both shoulders because it's much more comfortable when your backpack is heavy. And we had nice earrings, so we loved wearing that. And we had certain skirts at that time, very long, was in style. And that wasn't allowed because it's style, not because anything else, because long is long. There's nothing you're not covering. So a block or two away from school, we would start getting one shoulder off and earrings <laughs> off and start folding our skirts so it's not that long and fixing our stuff up. So, you know, two blocks away, we're kosher enough to get into the building with ha- without having to deal with any complaints. What, what was the message there that you learned from that? So the thing is that 
they just gave us rules. They never told us why. They never focused on the inside as much as the outside. They did both. But obviously, the outside was the main, the most important thing. If you were exactly according to the Takanon, which is exactly the rules that they wanted, they didn't care anything else. You were the best student right there. You were the top because you just followed that. And then there was the girls that didn't follow everything. Right away, they were not the one that will be chosen to do any kind of, let's say, if we had a special activity, you could be the head of this or all kind of things. It would only be those girls that fit exactly to that category of SNES, according to them. And if anybody was a little off that, they were not giving the same opportunities as the girls that were fitting exactly the same Uh, so what, what I'm hearing is, number one, the focus on the outside, not the inside, and maybe the focus too much on the outside negatively impacts the inside. And number two, I, I, what I'm hearing also is learning how to game the system, how to work yeah. around the system. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, were, we knew certain places that we're probably not going to meet any teachers or rabbis from our school. So we felt comfortable in the afternoon getting dressed the way we wanted. But if we knew we were going to certain areas where we might see teachers, then we would dress differently because the rules were not only applied when you come to school, those rules were applied also afternoon. So in the afternoon, if they would see you with the extra long skirt or something, you would get a call um, or get called and talk to you about it. Um, Definitely um, something that I felt like I'm living kind of a double life, <laughs> one for them, and then one that I understood that's Tanias for me and my parents. So um, there was also that big conflict where at home um, it was fine with what I was wearing, um, and according to the school, it was not fine. So there was never that explanation of why it's just this is how this school ro rolls. This is how we do it. And we just do it. And we don't ask questions. It, it sounds very much like somebody who has a radar detector that is speeding and mm -hmm. uh, they're detecting when the police are there and he's going 90 miles per hour and you slow down when you get to this. To, nowadays, you have it on ways and it says uh, gives you a warning that you're approaching the police. And it sounds very much like this. We know we're walking in the building uh, when the uh, the teachers are here going to the pizza place on whatever place we can't go there because that teacher lives next to there. And you're just trying to constantly game the system. Exactly. Yeah, we, we definitely. Um you know, had those um, antennas, <laughs> I would say that like, this is a good area, safe area, and this is like not so safe. So and we now, wouldn't. Right. What, what were the consequences of violating the dress code? If somebody came in and their skirt was too short or their agilim, their earrings were not uh, right next to the ear, they were hanging down too much or they were too flashy, who, who would enforce and, and what would they say? So um, it was either the teacher or the SNES teacher. Um, so they would call you and if it's, let's say, the earrings, let's say, you know, you take it off and don't wear it again. Um, if the skirt was long and you could fold it is one thing. But if it, let's say, it was too short and you can't do anything about that, then you would be sent home and you have to go and change because um, you cannot change uh, the look. So you cannot stay um, in school with the look of, that's not approved. So you would right. be sent home. Yeah, and was that done in, in public, in private, and in, in, in the principal's office? So usually you were be called out 
Um, usually it would not be in front of the whole class. Um, but it was very uncomfortable because if someone knew, oh, you're being called by this newest teacher, everyone knows that, okay, she's going to, <laughs> she's going to get a piece of the, of the teacher's mind and, and obviously something is wrong. So everybody knew, okay, here she goes. She's in trouble. Right. Right. Now, now, what would you say, you, your friends, what, what was the lasting impact of having the rules and the focus on the outside as opposed to the inside? Did girls continue keeping the halachas of tzniyas? Did they get strict? Did they get, get more lax about them? And how do they think about tzniyas because of this? So for me personally, and I think some other girls as well, the second the school was over, um, during school in the afternoon, we were like, trying to get that outlet um, as much as we can. And even after graduating, I never really felt that I have the base of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and I, I just, you know, try to be whatever I thought was right. I did not really follow any of the rules that the school taught us for those few four years in high school. I just did my own thing. And um, I was never really explained. So I never knew like, what's right or wrong. I just like, if this is what I like, this is how I'm going to do it. And um, only later, later, much later, I, you know, I would start questioning and like, okay, let me see why do I really need to cover my knees? Or why do I really need to wear certain socks and um, discovered all kinds of things that Socks are not always have to be with sneers. It could be in the place where you are. What is Makuba there? If it's something that's something that you do in this area where you live with this community or not, or all kinds of things that I was like, what? It's not halacha? What? You don't have to? Like, like that would be like a shocking, like everything that we were taught, whether it was hachmara or whether it was just the school rule. For us, it was yehareg ve'al avor. Like, this is it. You do this, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> so you can't get away with that. So they never told us, this is the halacha, this is the geder, this is Hachmara, this is, you know, um, all the stages. So it was either everything and it's all halacha or nothing and you're done. And, and did that make it confusing, putting it in the, all in the same bucket as opposed to explaining the, the levels, what's a deraisa, what's a deraban, and what's based on minhag? Very much. I, I, Till today, I'm still learning, I think, to know exactly what's really the basic halacha and what's the hachmara and what's what is accepted and all these things because we were never taught the difference between any of these uh, different categories of where it's hachmara, where it's Torah is um, mitzvah or asar, and then there's much more levels going up from there. We were never taught this different. It was, like I said, it was like, all the way and everything is halacha and anything you're not going to follow is asr, avera, and your sin. It's a sin. <laughs> right, right. Well, Mrs. Berg, I really want to thank you so much for joining us. It was uh, it was very interesting to hear uh, how it would be helpful uh, really starting out with what's critical and what's a chumrah, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, obviously that is, uh, I think, a, a better way to teach things. First, to teach things, and secondly, to teach it in, in the way to understand uh, the whole landscape of, of the halachas of tzniyas. Thank right. you so much. And 
I would like to add one more thing that I think is really important that is to teach the girls that you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for you. You're the bat melech. You're not doing it for anybody else. We were taught you have to do it because there are men out there and there are people there out looking. But no, you need to do it for yourself, for your own respect, for your own for you, dignity. For you, for, yeah, exactly. And not do it. Oh, I have to be covered for everybody out there because they have the Yetzirah. No, you have your thing. They have their thing. But you should just do it for yourself. And with that kind of attitude, you will want to do it because you're doing it for yourself and not for others. Right. You know, you do hear that from a, from a lot of people that they're teaching that you have to do it because the men and you have to stop the men from looking and it's your Akrayas. And, uh, you know, th- then you just start thinking that the men are the predators and uh, it's, it's not about building something internal within yourself. So that's uh, an, an important message. Well, yeah. I want to thank you so much for joining us. That was uh, really insightful and, and helpful. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you.